0: On episode 52 of Pixel Gaiden. Tim talks memories from a game shop. Systems you love, but games you hate. We open a gift from a listener. Eric discusses his new Atari 7800. New Amiga hardware is on the horizon. And some PC Engine hardware I didn't know about. It's a show full of good beer for once. There's a battle of the 8-bit systems. When Mr. Gimmick and Monsterland face off.
1: What? Another visitor. Stay a while. Stay
0: forever. Welcome to Guide! Featuring Cody, Eric, and Tim Drew! Now, here are your hosts, Eric Nelson. And Cody Hoffman! Oh my buddy Eric, it is February, it is the month of lovers. The month of lovers,
1: (laughs) yes indeed, (laughs) and yet we are separated.
0: We are separated by the heartbreak of the internet, the interwebs. We have our monitors, but at least I can see you.
1: Yep. (laughs) This disease is keeping us apart and I, you know, I didn't, I didn't mind it at first and it's, it's fine. It's fine. But it, it, there isn't, there's nothing like trying to get together to record and being able to pass around show and tell stuff and things like that. I do miss that. So I'm hoping we can resume this really soon.
0: Yep, yep. So, uh, real quick, let me go ahead and run down what we're doing this month. Uh, this is episode one for the month, uh, episode 52, technically, but, um, so on this episode, Eric and I are, first of all, uh, as always, gonna co- cover some quick questions. Of course, we've got some beers to try, and, uh, we have a special package from a listener, which we'll be Ooh. opening, Eric. Yeah, I forgot um, all
1: about that. I'm looking forward to it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, tea Time with Tim. He's got a segment, uh, some memories of working in a UK games shop and uh, a, and owning a UK games shop at one point as well. Um, Eric, you're doing an Eric's Take segment on the Atari 7800?
1: Yep, the first peek. I gotta finally got an Atari 7800 and taking a first look at it and talking about it and some of the games I got.
0: Very cool. As usual, uh, we always start with the news, so we'll be covering things that are news, at least to us, and hopefully some of it is news to y'all. And we have a battle of the systems between two games that were kind of um, very, one of the last games released on their respective systems and considered to be the, one of the peaks of technical um, expertise, I guess, with the software, and that is uh, in the 8-bits, so we got it. Mr. Gimmick on the NES, and uh, Mayhem and Monsterland on the Commodore 64.
1: Yeah, a little battle of the 6502 variant chips, right?
0: Ooh, if you want to get that nerdy about it, sure, why not? (laughs) (laughs) All right, Eric, well, uh, without any further ado, let's go ahead and dig into it and start ourselves off with some quick questions. Quick questions! Eric, how about you ask yours first?
1: Sure. Um, my first question is, is there a recent game you wanted to beat, but couldn't, no matter how hard you tried?
0: Not at all, Eric. I'm amazing. I beat all of them. <laughs> um, no. Now, the, does the question mean recent as in, like, recently released, or recent as in I've just played it recently?
1: Just kind of recently. I mean, uh, the thing is, you can ask this question every six months or a year and have different answers. I mean, yeah. what games, like, in recent history, recent memory, or you can go back. I don't really care. I mean, I'm just <laughs> So the if only it's one interesting story,
0: yeah. I mean, for the most part, if I want to beat them, especially newer games, they don't make them to where you can't beat them. Okay, um, but the one, the, there is a couple that always stick in my mind, and one of them happens to be part of the show's namesake, and that's Ninja Gaiden, the original NES one, right? Yeah. Um, which I have ninety-nine percented that game, but once you get to the second form of the final boss, I don't know how yeah. you beat that thing. I just don't know how you beat it, um, and it's one of those games where you get unlimited continues. Yeah, but when you lose your three lives on the last boss, you go back to the beginning of the level six, and you have to get all the way to the boss again, and you're hoping you have three lives to try, and then you do it right. again. And I spent like three hours straight trying to beat that. I can't, and I just gave up. And so uh, at this point, I would have to go through all the whole game and do it all over again. It's just it's such a uh, um, endurance test just to to get there, which I get was- can get there pretty easily. But the lot, that final form is uh.
1: Yeah, that's one of those games I think that you should bend your rules a little bit and use save states somewhere.
0: <laughs> real hard hardware, just, Eric, Real
1: hardware. You could just save state it right at the beginning of that boss battle and at least just have to rewind right to the beginning of that.
0: Well, it's funny because when the, uh, the, what do you call it, um, NES Online games on the Switch...
1: Yeah, when they we had have those, safe states. perfect. They,
0: well, they actually re- they actually released a. Um, I don't know if they still do it or not, but when they first came out with it, all of the games basically had a save state that you could just open originally that brought you to right to the last boss. Ooh, that's neat. Like, every single game. I don't know why yeah. they did that. It was kind of cool, but um, anyway, <laughs> they did that. So I I played a lot of games for the first time trying to beat the final boss, which was interesting. Yeah. What about you? What, what brought this question to mind?
1: Well, I, I have two answers, but one—the first one's really quick—is on the switch. I've been playing this game called Hades, which yeah, uh, yeah. you probably heard of that game, right? You and actually I am, showed
0: me. Uh, you let me play a little.
1: Yeah, I'm loving the game. The story is great, and the cutscenes are in game, so they're they're not intrusive. And the story is great, but I am I'm hung up on the first very first boss. <laughs>
0: <laughs> really? Okay. So
1: like I can't, and I've watched videos and people just beat them and move on, and like I, I'm I'm sitting there playing and I always run it. There's something I must be missing about powering up my guy. So I gotta I gotta rethink that. But I've kind of given up on it for right now. I'm gonna go. I am gonna go back because I love the game. But then I, I have a net, uh, Nintendo um, answer for my second one. My retro answer is Kid Icarus. Like that's one game. F- like every couple of years I go back to and I can play it right up until I think it's about three quarters of the way through the game. And then I can't, get, I can't move any further. I just lose yeah. all my lives.
0: Yeah. Um, another, this is
1: a tough game.
0: Another example of a classic NES hard game, Nintendo yeah. hard.
1: Uh, it's really hard.
0: Cool. Cool. Um, so, my next quick question is a question that I did uh, ask on our Discord server, and uh, you guys will hear in a second all the show information, but if you are on our Discord server, which uh, to get on there, you just need to be a patron follower of ours. Um, but I asked this question, and we got some answers from the community, from some of our uh, fellow listeners. And that question, Eric, and I'll let you go first, is there a system you love even though you don't love any games for it. Now the key there is love any games for it. You can probably like a game or two, but
1: yeah. Um, so I have two cause I have a computer and a console and I'll keep it quick. The computer one is the most recent acquisition I have, which is the Timex Sinclair 2068.
0: Okay. Yeah. Well, okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
1: so I love, I love the system. Like it looks really cool. The keyboard is better than the, the, the rubber one on the 48 K from the UK Um, but I've looked, I don't have any original games for it, but I've looked through the catalog and they only made a handful of games for it. They all look like they're horrible. So there is no game (laughs) on that system. I want now, when you put the twister board in, you can play all the very cool ZX Spectrum 48K games. Yep. But, but as it is without any kind of enhancements, it, there's nothing I want to run on that thing. Nothing at all. Um, I gotcha. As far as consoles, I I thought about this because there's always something I can, there's always games I love on every console I have just about, but I do have to say the original Xbox because I have two of them.
0: Interesting. Okay. And
1: the original Xbox doesn't have a single game that I actually love and I can't think of a single one. There's, there's games like, like the original Halo that are fun, but I don't love it. So I can't think of a single game I love on that.
0: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll give my answer at the end here, uh, but let me go ahead and read a couple of our submissions. One was by 48K Ram, which is Josh Malone. He says, honestly, at this point, that pretty much describes both the Atari ST and the Tandy Coco for me. Uh, Probably more so the ST, which is funny because, as he says here, I am a huge Atari fan, and I love the look and feel of the ST machines. But so far, there's really only one game I come back to on the system, and that's Reservoir God's excellent port of Choo Choo Rocket, which is a port. It's not even an original game, right? Right. Um, which is, I know on the Dreamcast, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, he says, I think I have yet to find the games, uh, the good games for the Coco, especially the Coco 2, but I have so much nostalgia for the Radio Shack that I'm super happy to have the systems, even if I don't use them very much. Um... Our next submission and last one was from Mitsuyama, who says, "'I might have to go with the Vectrix here. "'The console itself looks gorgeous, and the vector graphics are very sharp. "'Add a decent overlay, and you've got a great-looking system. "'But the games? "'I've only had a limited, uh, very limited amount of time playing on the Vectrix, "'so I may be missing some gems, but I didn't fall in love with the games I played. "'Still, I love the chance to own one myself.'" um i think mitsuyama is wrong the vectrix is amazing it has a ton of good games <laughs> it doesn't have a ton of games but it has a high percentage of good ones yeah, um, yeah just my opinion <laughs> <of good
1: ones. laughs> well, honestly even the built-in mindstorm i had a blast with i thought that was a pretty good game but um, i think
0: that's the best original game and it's built in yeah yeah um, and, then,
1: and then, of course, I think Josh just needs to dig a little more into the Cocoa Library, because there are a lot of really cool games in the Cocoa Library. Okay, okay. Which we will be covering on our six good games yep. this, this month.
0: Yep, on episode 53, we'll be covering six good Cocoa games. Uh, we also yep. have a game show, and we'll be covering... Uh, we'll catch up with uh, all, of our, all of the hosts, including Tim Drew, who will join us again for the game show, and six good games, and catching up. Um, but my answer, actually... I, the reason I asked the question is because I was struggling to find games I loved on the Coco when we were doing that segment. To be straight up with you, okay. Um, but I, but there are some I, I do really enjoy. So I can't put that on that list. But I'm gonna have to go back to the TI ninety nine four A from that's, Texas Instruments, which yeah,
1: is yeah, that's right.
0: My favorite looking piece of hardware, even the way the sound uh, unit goes in the side, and the mm-hmm. way the accessories and stuff to plug in. Uh, the me- the metal look—it's so unique. It's probably my favorite piece of hardware, like actual hardware that I own. Okay. So I love it so much for that. But um, yeah, I couldn't I c- couldn't tell you a game that I really enjoy playing on that, on that machine.
1: Right. So. Yeah, it's it's hard to find a really good one.
0: Yep. 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 Cool. Uh, well, that's quick questions. So let's go ahead and let people know how they can get a hold of us.
1: So, if you want to find show information, you're going to go to pixelguiden.com. If you want to reach us on Twitter, you can reach me, Eric Nelson, at the project, D-U-H project. You can reach the show at, at pixel underscore guiden. You can reach Cody at, at oddball, which is ODDBA1149. You can reach Tim at sanction at SANXION. Please review us on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast catcher that you use. That would be really helpful for us. And if you want to email us, you can email at podcast at pixelguiden.com. And we do encourage feedback.
0: We also have a Patreon account set up. So if you wish to support the show financially, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash pixelguiden. You can support us with as little as a dollar all the way up to infinite dollars. If you do so, you'll get access to the Amigos Retro Network Discord server where all kinds of cool chat is happening about not only our show, but the other shows such as Bright Castle and, of course, the Amigos um, amongst other shows. And there's various other topics in there, um, everything from for sale to music to uh, high score contests, things like that. If you support us at the $3 or more tier, we like to announce every supporter at that level here on the show in a way that we can only do here on Pixel Gaiden, using our random adjective generator. And for today's show, we're heading to the races. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Welcome to Pixel Downs. It's a beautiful day and the perfect setting for the world's number one horse race, the Gaiden Gaiden Derby. Derby. If you'll look around the audience today, you'll notice that anybody who is anybody is here, including such famous personalities as the finicky Josh Malone and the yummy Eric Sandgren. Large floral arrangements are the name of the game today, as well as large hats, such as the ones being worn by the thankful David Vincent, the frail 10-minute Amiga Retrocast, and uh, also I noticed down there uh, in the food area, uh, a fancy hat being worn by the green David Modala. All right, it looks like we're about ready to get to the action, so let's go ahead and start this horse race. They are off. Ladies and gentlemen, coming around the first turn, you'll notice that the exuberant Roy Fielding is in first, followed by the truculent Mr. Toast, and the mature Team Grey all the way is coming up the rear. In the second pack, we see the sulky Moshie Sosnowski, the overwrought Paradroid, and the curly Rambo uh, A couple of horses are limping. It looks like we might have had a trip to the glue factory here. The lyrical Ant Stiller just dropped to the ground, along with his jockey. The, the gufty Mitsuyama. The carcass the of the horse, horse is now being dragged off the track, track as the eminent, eminent Jim Chetzier passes him, followed by the, by the abrasive Henrik Lopel and the lavish and Gary Heather, bringing up the, up the absolute, absolute rear. rear. But wait, wait! Something wait, is going, is going, going on, at on at the front, front of the pack. pack. There are three there new three horses, horses that somehow have made their way, the way to the very front. The Honorable Honorable Dustin Newell Newell has edged his way into third, third, but but at the very front, front, it's a crazy crazy tight race. race. It's It's Matthew Ackerman. No. It's Daniel James. No. It's Matthew Ackerman. No. It's Daniel James. Oh. 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 By a no is the pastoral Matthew Ackerman wins the race. Just edging out the nimble Daniel James by the hair on his chinny chin chin. Yay. Awesome. And thank you for your support, y'all.
1: Yeah. It is important. And we appreciate it. So I want to tell you about some things we're doing.
0: Yeah, we video got some, wise. some cool new things that have been popping up here, mostly because of Tim. M-
1: yeah, mainly because of Tim, but I, I am hoping to jump in here pretty soon to this, and I hope you do too. But we are doing Twitch streaming, and um, that typically happens on Thursdays, and uh, we also post Amigos Retro Gaming Network YouTube videos from time to time as well. All the Twitch Streams that Tim does do eventually end up on the YouTube channel, so you can go back and watch them. But the live streaming, I think he's doing them on Thursdays mainly, um, once a week. Uh, the channel that you can look that up on is twitch.tv slash pixelguiden, all one word, no spaces. Um, if you follow us on there, we're trying to get 50 followers because it gives us more options in, in streaming. So if you could try to follow us on there. Um, also, you should follow the Amigos Retro Gaming Network videos um, on YouTube. Just search for that and subscribe to that, too. I, there's a lot of content on there. I mean, a lot of content that comes out almost every day. So you should check that out for sure. And the stuff
0: Tim's um, been doing has been really impressive because he keeps trying to one up himself. So exactly. Every time we hop on there, it looks better. And he's got more boxes with more shenanigans and things going on and uh, more interaction. It's pretty cool.
1: It's, a, it's pretty amazing. Um, this month, Tim started with the Commodore 64 going in-depth with the Kung Fu Flash cartridge. Um, and he basically loading a C64 game, a new game called Showdown on there by Badger Punch Software. Um, and he loaded that from a cassette file, a TAP file from the Kung Fu Flash, which is pretty impressive. Uh, That is a pretty neat little cartridge. I'm going to have to get one of those one of these days. Uh, He also played Zeta Wing, Buggy Boy, and Fix-It Felix. Great games. Um, His second stream was from the MSX, from his Toshiba HX-10. He had a bunch of technical issues, but that's half the fun on Twitch streams, right? He he
0: makes a big deal about it in in Counter, you know, looking back, but it really only took like eight minutes and it was all done. He got it figured out. So not that big of a deal, but it was fun.
1: He played uh, games by Juan Martinez. Uh, basically, I, I always butcher this name, Ushin Yeah,
0: like Ushin great little Uchushan. shooter.
1: Ushin, yeah, it is a great shooter. Um, and Night, Night, which I love that game. That was a great, great game. Yeah. Uh, Penguin Adventure, King's Valley Two, and ended with a cool demo called Bold. And I, I I've never watched a lot of demos in MSX, so I'm gonna have to check that out. I didn't, I didn't get to ch- catch that stream, but I need to check that out. Um, his third stream was uh, Cocoa Time with Tim.
0: Yeah, I love that. Cocoa, game. <laughs> Cocoa Time with Tim.
1: He played some Cocoa games for, and because he was trying to test out, because he's going to be joining us uh, next episode, episode 53, for six good Cocoa games. So he was basically just going live, trying out a bunch of Cocoa games. And uh, he, he doesn't have a Cocoa, so he was messing with the mess emulation setup. Uh he played 3D Death Chase, which is a port from the Spectrum, Megabug, Mr. Dig, Galagon. <laughs> uh Time Bandit and Mud
0: Pies. We'll talk about it more later, but yeah, it's, I love how the, like eighty percent of the Coco Library is like ports of or not ports, but clones of other games with really cheesy names to try to tie them together. <laughs> which I think is awesome. It is great. Uh Eric, let's drink beer.
1: Yeah, let's do that. So I'm getting thirsty. We'll,
0: we'll go ahead and crack one open here while we uh, talk errata and feedback. Now, the first point of feedback that I do want to mention is that last month, I completely forgot the errata and feedback section <laughs> in its yeah. entirety. So that's a thing. Um, what beer do you want to start with? I'll start with one of yours, huh?
1: Okay. let's. Uh, I'm kind of intrigued by uh, the dad pants.
0: <laughs> dad pants. Awesome. Oh, you know what? Eric, what's that? I think we're going to have to try to go with the different one. That's fine, let's do that. I for some reason forgot to grab that from downstairs, so let's do your uh, your other one.
1: Yep, they're both by the same brewery, so that's okay. So this one is by Barrel Brothers Brewing Company. It is Dark Sarcasm Porter.
0: <laughs>
1: and this one, from what I remember, I think is a, called a Baltic Porter. Um
0: they do that thing on the back where they try to insult you in in, in a way that makes you want to buy their beer.
1: <laughs> exactly. It
0: says, you knucklehead, put this down. You know your taste buds can't handle a dark beer that's actually smooth and drinkable. That's like a weird passive-aggressive, ang- yeah. You're used to trudging through your dark beers, wincing down each sip as your palate is eroded by what tastes like licking a burnt mattress, drizzled with tar. Uh, no, no, my friend. This beer is far too approachable for you. You wouldn't get it, so don't even try it. Well, maybe one day, but probably not. challenge accepted eric
1: yep all right so and this is local pretty local windsor sonoma county california
0: yep yep not too far away and i i I do
1: try to buy like local beers a lot just because i'm trying to support the scene
0: Well, and they're good
1: (laughs) they are very good yeah
0: they are also delicious so i will i will level with you eric um my voice probably sounds a little off today yeah and uh I'm only going to drink three beers this month with us on the shows here, so two this show, this episode, maybe one next episode, because uh, one of the largest American holidays of the year, the Super Bowl, was yesterday. <laughs> right. And uh, yeah, this morning did not feel good. We'll just leave it at that. So sure. So this will be... I'm excited to taste and drink these beers, Um, but it's not going to be as easy as it normally is for me. I w- I wish I knew that before I bought
1: the beers cuz I bought tall boys.
0: Yeah, you did. That's all right. I got, That's all right.
1: I got you two big tall boys
0: <laughs> and I bought one as well. So. All right, let's cheers this. Yes, cheers, sir. Cheers. Mm. That is a proper ah. proper porter.
1: Yep, and I have I've never had this before either, so this is new to me and um so far I'm I'm loving it. It's, it's drinkable. It, it's, it's smooth.
0: It's smooth and drinkable and delicious. However, it's funny because everything that we just read on the back. Yeah. um, Most porters, I would say, are also very smooth and drinkable. I would not say they taste like a dirty charred mattress at all. Um, I would say this is in line with a lot of porters, which is a very good thing. I love porters. It's very
1: dark. It's so dark you can't see through it. The head, the the bubbles in the head are very tight. So it's got a very thick, foamy head. Mm
0: -hmm, mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: Which I do like.
0: Yeah. I'm trying to be yes. as snobby
1: as possible when talking about the
0: beer. Mm, it's a thick for me head. Mm-hmm. This would
1: pair well with uh, certain cheeses.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's um, it's, it's got a... It's like it says, it's smooth. It's got that kind of coffee character that I, I like. And even though they talk about it not tasting like a lick... Uh, uh, licking a burnt mattress... Yeah, I still think it tastes like it's got like if you if you cook a piece of toast and the edges just get burnt a little bit. Yeah, like it's not overpowering, but that char is there. I actually disagree with their their description. I think it is a little charry. Yeah, which I appreciate.
1: Yeah, I I do. So I have to admit, like you know how a lot of people just say they don't like Starbucks because they're a corporate behemoth or whatever, but
0: oh, their coffee is delicious.
1: I really like their coffee. Mm-hmm. And it does have a, they, they complain it has a burnt flavor to it. I love that about Starbucks coffee. Like <laughs> when I drink it, I'm like, yeah, this, this tastes really good. I really enjoy this. So I, I don't know if you're ready to rate this, but I am.
0: Well, what's our, uh, what's our, let's see here. What can we do here? Dark Sarcasm Porter by so Barrel you Brothers. Do, yeah. You want to pick the rating it's, system for this one? Sure. It's Barrel Brothers. And, um, and we're we're celebrating 2021, Eric, because it is no longer 2020 and we all are. everything is about to turn right in the world. So, let's go out of t- uh, 2021 barrels. What you going to give <laughs> okay. this one?
1: 2021 barrels. I'm going to give this 2021. Now I've got to do some math here. I'm going to give this 1810
0: one thousand eight hundred and ten. Okay, I like it. I was gonna off the top of my head. I was thinking seventeen sixty. So we're in the we're in the same ballpark.
1: Yeah, we're in the same ballpark. Yeah, seventeen sixty.
0: That's a good It's a good B plus, um, or uh, or more commonly used system. A good seventeen sixty out of two 2021 <laughs> um, Right. Yeah, just a, a good beer. Not amazing, but I'd definitely buy it again. Yeah. If I saw it on tap, yeah. I would buy some. Good. Right on. Like it. I like it.
1: Let's talk about errata and feedback. Yeah. My favorite favorite part of the episode.
0: So a few things here. Um, This is Tim, I think, correcting a few, or correcting, or I don't know if you corrected as much as explained a few things. We were talking about the C-65 on episode 50. And Mm -hmm. the uh, C65 that came out was indeed a dev kit at the moment. It wasn't the full release like I thought it might have been. You said it was a dev kit. You were correct. Uh, General release boards and finished cases are coming later. The dev kit did have the option of a three and a half inch disc drive with it, but it is side mounted like the Wedge Amigas. Mm -hmm. Um, So it does not have the front mounted one yet like a lot of pictures.
1: uh, That's what I want. If I ever get one, I want that that floppy in the front. I think that's, that's a very cool look.
0: Well, that's how the original one looked, right?
1: It's how the original one look. It's how that uh, that Spectrum, that one Spectrum, has the microdrive in the front. Like I think that's very cool, or not micro drive, but the the three inch disk. I think of the Spectrum three.
0: Um, I know yeah. my I know my um, my uh, I'm totally blanking on the my Amstrad CPC has a three inch okay. disk. Yes, okay. Now, maybe the Spectrum does too, but I know my Amstrad does.
1: Sounds like we're going to have some errata probably for next month.
0: Probably. (laughs) We're really good at making errata while talking about errata. Um, (laughs) It's very meta. Some feedback. Uh, One of our listeners, David Vincent, was influenced by the show. Uh, He went out and grabbed himself a Pi 400 for his kiddos. They've been learning um, programming and stuff on those. And he picked himself up a Pi 4 and a fight stick and put put that together, which is cool. Because I do know... uh, david vincent it, unlike us doesn't have a ton of hardware and isn't like super into collecting everything playing everything um yeah. he likes to listen and uh we finally influenced him to buy some hardware to play some of the stuff on
1: <laughs> that's our goal yep that's always our goal
0: I, very uh he actually recommended a few pico eight games to me so i know he got into the pico eight a bit and uh i'm sure with the pi 400s and the pi 4 he's been getting you know getting into emulation and stuff so that's cool yeah
1: and that's fantastic. You know, the, the Pi 4 has so much upside. So many people are starting to come out with uh, – there's going to be BMC 64 bare metal that you'll plug in an SD card and boom, you have a Commodore 64. Oh, wow. There's. Uh, I'm going to talk about this in news. AmiKit is coming out with uh, um, just a pre-done thing. You just put on your Pi 400 and it's got an Amiga. It's just it's – boom, you Very just cool. have an Amiga. So there's so much upside for that. Plus, uh, RetroArch is on there now with Emulation Station. What a great system.
0: Uh, we also talked last month about, well, actually two months ago, because I forgot to talk about RADA and feedback. <laughs> uh, I mentioned that Rare worked with Microsoft a lot. And he pointed yeah. out, well, of course they did, because they were purchased by Microsoft in 2002, Eric. Yeah, um, that was a- Alexisms. Alexisms, or Alexis? yes, he said that. Alexisms. He also pointed out that uh, Perfect Dark did come out on the 360 as well as the nintendo 64 which i i thought was a, a exclusive to the console
1: okay
0: um tim always likes to point out when we leave him out of things which i don't blame him so my sound no, effect my sound effect two months ago for catching up forgot to mention him again so i officially got rid of the sound effect that does not have us yelling and tim uh so <laughs> from now on you will hear catching up with eric and cody and tim like it should be um now this and is it's a, nothing personal,
1: Tim. It's just because we're lazy.
0: <laughs> it's, well, no, I, I literally tried to fix it and I just forgot yeah. to delete the other one and it kept sneaking in. Um, this is a big one for me. Um, all right. Now, I don't know if you follow Ballspawn on uh, the Twitters at all, but she's really into like PC uh, Doom and things like that, really big into Doom yeah um, and a couple other cool things she does. actually made she made some of the uh, these Lego kits that look like sound blasters and other like video cards from the past and things. Okay, really cool. But uh, I saw her release a a tweet uh, a couple weeks ago showing her game and watch just running constantly. And if you remember, yeah. I had made a big stink about how the game and watch wasn't what I want for two reasons one because it didn't have a built-in stand which i stand by and the other one is like i bought this to be a clock i wish there was a way for it just to run as a clock because if you try that it turns off and i specifically said if you could just like plug in a cord or something to keep power to it all the time and have it run that would be fine but why don't they do that eric i probably should have tried that before i said it didn't work because she was running it it worked fine i asked what did you do she's like i plugged it in yeah, and, and
1: and I I should have I should have thought about that too. I mean, it's so obvious that it you can charge it. So you why not just plug it in to a computer or to you can plug it into your computer or you can plug it into a phone charger, right? If you don't want a computer dedicated to it, so if you don't yep. wanted it in your bedroom,
0: so I don't know if you see you can see mine here. My web it. camera's pointed at. So I just here's my my USB hub, and I just yep. got um, a cable running right to the game watch, and it just runs all day and all night now.
1: That's awesome. Now, one thing that's legit, though, a legit complaint, is it didn't have it doesn't have a kickstand. That's still Correct. real.
0: That is still real. So I do have it on a little plastic, like, uh, small picture frame stand. Yeah. And it doesn't look perfect, but it looks pretty good. I actually got the cable. I've got these little right-angle USB-C cables, so it, like, hides the cable really well. So um, I've been watching Mario do his thing and like, the clock feature on here. It is yeah. really, really cool. So, I'm so gonna, I am upping my rating because he goes through and he, like, uh, is blocking, you know, knocking bricks. And he'll go down pipes every once in a while and there'll be coins down there. He'll collect them and come back up or go into the sky and do things. Uh, there's so many different animations and things while this clock is just running throughout the day. Not to mention yeah. the background has gradients that change from, like, sunrise to full day to sunset to nighttime. It is really cool.
1: <laughs> I got I'm gonna get mine going. And you know what? I just thought of this. I have a perfect place to power it. There's uh, USB ports in my switch, so I'm just gonna connect go. it to my switch and set it over there, and it's gonna be running all day.
0: Yep. So now I, uh, I, I very much like it. I might literally just take it though and take it off the stand, use a little double sided tape, and just stick it on the wall, That's like with the cord. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. With the cord sticking out. Yeah. Yeah. Not too bad. But I mean, better than nothing. That's true. Um, last episode, I forgot on the spot when I was asking in quick questions, uh, about people's, uh, thoughts about games that they would love to play, but the controls are so bad they won't play them. Yeah. And I forgot my example, which was the reason I asked the question <laughs> and I remembered it. And a big part of it was I've been trying to play with my new BBC micro that Tim, uh, provided for me right. and not to mention the original Speccy and for whatever reason in UK, Playing on a keyboard was kind of commonplace because of those microcomputers. Yes. And apparently Q and A, if you like, if you're especially if you're American, look at your keyboard. Q and yeah. A are like up and down. That's right. Way on the other side of the keyboard are like O and P. That's left that's and right. right. And then like yep. Shift and like Space or M like will be shoot and jump. There's no way for my mind to comprehend how any of that works together. Right. And especially with the BBC, most of the games do not have joystick support. And you have to use the keyboard, yeah. and I am having the hardest time finding any games I enjoy on the BBC Micro because I can't control them. I can't control them.
1: Yeah, most of the games I try that require a keyboard, I I, I struggle with. So there are some some I just I load up, I can't play, and I just close them down. But I've I found I have found quite a few that support joystick. So yeah.
0: It amazes me that back then, I know, obviously, in hindsight, it's easy. Like, you know, WASD, W-A-S-D, up, down, left, right, one hand, right there, boom. Like, even if it wasn't those letters, why not uh, J-I-K-L, up on that side? There's a little, you know, up, down, left, right. Like, why would they think one hand doing up and down, the other hand on the other side of the keyboard doing left and right, not to mention fire and everything being in a completely different direct. I don't understand how that made sense to people, but... Right. One
1: There's, thing I love about the Mister is that in any of the simulations, any of them, so you could pick BBC Micro or or ZX Spectrum, whatever, you can map any key to any other key.
0: Not real so hard hardware. Eric. It's not real hardware. I, I don't care. <laughs> I don't care.
1: I want to play the games and I want to play them comfortably. Yeah, so. I, I
0: agree with you, but I just can't get myself to do it. I'd rather complain about it and and use real hardware. Um, and then last but not least. I did a game show for my co-hosts on the show last last month, mm-hmm. which is pretty much just a way for us to show off our video game knowledge. Right, Eric?
1: Or lack of. <laughs> or lack thereof.
0: And I think altogether, between the two of you, you guys got a total of three correct answers uh, out of, like, 14, because you guys both could answer. Um, so Aaron from the Migos was livid and wrote in our in our Discord that he got all but one question right. <laughs> um, and was basically shaking his head in shame and said he should have been on the show and showed you guys what's up. So, Yeah. Maybe we should have him on for the game show. I'm down. Maybe.
1: If we can <laughs> patch him in somehow.
0: You know, we, we record this at like 10 o'clock midnight, somewhere in there, so Aaron would be <laughs> like 3 in the morning, but hey, if you want to make it happen. Yeah. All right, Eric, while we enjoy our beers and right before we start the news... We need to open a little package that our buddy Doug from the Ten Minute Amiga Retrocast sent, which I don't think you know anything about at this point.
1: I do not. I, I didn't. I barely remembered that we got a package until I saw it in the in the notes.
0: So I got here a package, and now it is an Amazon box. It's okay. got the smiles all over it. Now Doug just basically uh, wrote to me and said, "Hey, expect a package to be coming in." And I didn't. I just thought it'd be from Doug, because in the past it, oh, it was a package from Doug. So this just uh, says, you know, my name, from to my address from Amazon, and I get Amazon packages like everybody else does, like daily, uh, which I'm not proud of. Um, so I did open it <laughs> and I saw the first thing, and I immediately knew, oh, this is the one from Doug. <laughs> right. So uh, I know what the first item is, but I have not dug further. So here we go, Eric, opening a box package from doug 10 minute amiga retrocast who is all love no hate uh starts no um trivial wars about you know unimportant things um (laughs) oh wait first item here if you can see what that is
1: yeah it's a galaga but what is that i don't know what it is it's a little something going
0: tin like wall plaque
1: Oh wow!
0: And it's just uh, it's Galaga, which who doesn't love Galaga, Eric? You know no, who doesn't? Who doesn't no. love Galaga? Um, so there is that, which is very cool, and I am it laughing cool. a bit. Um, that will be going, you know, made in China, right there on the back, of course. That's right. You gotta um,
1: hang that. You gotta hang that, though. That would be pretty, <laughs> pretty. Uh, I'll, fun I'll hang this. Hang it, Especially hang when this we for...
0: start, when I start doing videos and putting them on YouTube, this will be behind me all the time. Yeah, to show my love for Galaga. Thank you, Doug. All right, that's item number one. Let me reach in here. Item number two. <laughs> <clears throat> all right. So Eric, here's here's the good thing. Yeah. There's two pairs, pairs here. Actually, there's three pairs. So I'm sure, um, I'm sure these are meant for all of us. But the first thing I notice. Let me see here. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh three pairs of socks. The first one covered in Galaga ships.
1: <laughs> nice. I love it. <laughs> Galaga. That's awesome.
0: Socks. These are Oh, here we go. Galaxy League. So, the the back pair, these are extra shiny and extra yeah. Liberacci looking. Um big Galaga. old big old Galaga logo. And then uh the one in the middle here, I'm not going to lie, I'm sure it's Galaga, but I don't understand what you know what these logos are? No there's like those a, look like those look like zelda it's interesting there's like a crown here yeah and this almost looks like a zelda zelda thing this almost looks like a yeah. phoenix like a bird crest i'm not sure about this middle one but
1: maybe I get, those are maybe those are galaga symbols in the game i just don't remember them
0: yeah i mean the it, the tag here says this is galaxy league merchandise whatever that means so yeah all i know is eric we're we gonna wear galaga next time we record
1: Excellent, Uh, I will wear them I'll proudly wear them
0: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you again, Doug Alright, next in here, Doug Here's here's the heavy part Oh, wow Yeah Okay. Um, There's a lot of bubble wrap And There are one, two Three, four of these They look like they are all Well, I don't know if they're all the same, but they're all similar Let me open one up here the box is
1: too small for a stand-up Galaga arcade machine.
0: <laughs> Look at these bad boys. We got ourselves some nice heavy oh, no. glassware.
1: Oh, wow. We're going to have to use that for the beer drinking.
0: says Italy. Made in Italy on the bottom. So these are yes. like big solid beer glasses.
1: We're gonna use that. we're gonna use that next time we do in in person recording, we're gonna use that.
0: Yeah, very heavy bottom. What I like is they're heavy at the bottom and wide at the bottom so we can't spill.
1: That which is smart. Mm-hmm.
0: That's a good he knows us. <laughs> he does. That. And I'm assuming <laughs> exactly. that you know that would be a, a pint glass, you know, that's a that'll fit a tall boy right there. Sixteen fluid ounces. Yep. Um, perfect. And let me just check to make sure they do all look the same. So we got four of these bad boys. Oh, that's perfect! It is perfect because we usually do uh, two beers an episode. Yeah, so we got frosty nice and glasses cool. and yeah, awesome. Doug, I appreciate it.
1: Man, that is so awesome.
0: Um, completely changed my mind. Now I absolutely love Galaga and everything about it. So done. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, that's perfect. He did it.
0: Yep. His mission is complete. He he changed my p- opinion on the gameplay and everything. Wow. Well, thank you, sir. Thank you very much. Awesome. A little applause for that. I was going to say, that deserves a round of applause. And an air horn. All right, Eric, let's jump right in and check out the news. (coughs) Reporting the news! Oh, joy! All right, I got the first item here, and Eric. I'm hoping you know more about this than I do, but, um, in fact, let me share my screen. Sharing screen.
1: And I have read about this when it first was announced and I did also hear about it on two different podcasts and I heard them debate it, so... Oh, did you? Yeah, so please go ahead and explain it and then I'll tell you what I've heard about it.
0: Well, you, you can explain it better than I can. All I know is, uh, this thing's been, uh, designed and under construction for a long time. If you're an Amiga fan, you probably know about it. I did not. Um... Yeah. In fact, I recently went over, and we'll talk about this in Catching Up, but I was always ta- over uh, talking with Jerry from uh, the local Amiga group, which um, I'm forgetting the name of the Sacramento area Amiga group right now. Uh, the SSAC, or the, or the Sacramento, I always forget the acronym, Eric, save me. SACC, right? SACC. The SSAC yeah. is sports car racing. The SACC is the Sacramento Area Computer Club. Which is Amiga Club, even though they don't say it. Anyways, uh, he knew about this when I brought it up to him. And uh, this company, Buffy, uh, Mm -hmm. is coming out and they've been working on it for a while with a 1000 MIPS 68, actually, like a 68030 is what they say on the chip here. Um, But it is an accelerator for your Amigas. But it's very cool for a number of reasons. But the main reason I know is it's, first of all, insanely fast and it is just a chip replacement and it's a small looking little thing and they re- announced new pricing for it the pricing is 140 US dollars if you want the 512 version the 512 megabyte version and 180 US dollars if you want the 1 gigabyte version
1: that's right and so what this does is inst- you know it's it's not a big board that you stick in your amiga like an accelerator this one is a drop in i think for the denise chip I think that's right. Um, and it is supposed to get insane speeds. And, of course, you know why it's named Buffy, right?
0: Does it slay the vampire, Eric? It does. It <laughs> slays the vampire. I didn't know which, that until you just asked the question. Now I get it. That's yeah. awesome.
1: <laughs> which is which is a little silly because it, it doesn't do a lot of what the vampire does do. The vampire does, you know, HDMI out, IDE, um, a bunch of other stuff a- along with... Um, acceleration and and memory and stuff like that. But the Vampire, A, difficult to get. B, costs a buttload of money.
0: And and I would say C, does a whole lot of things where basically the Amiga is just barely doing anything compared to the Vampire, where this looks like this Mm -hmm. is still using the Amiga to do the work. So if you're you're a snob about real hardware, kind of like we are, or I can be, this is real hardware where the Vampire's big thing was they're like, what's the point of even having an Amiga if we have a vampire?
1: (laughs) That's right. And this, um, you know, most people, I mean, I don't want to say most people, me, I have stuff. I have IDE connectors. I have video. I I like real CRTs, So I have a video cable for that. I, I, this to me is very interesting to me. I think it, it, I believe it's an arm based drop in. So it's about the same size of the original chip that's in there. Um, it, 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 I, I, I don't see any real downside to this, especially since it's much cheaper than the vampire. I think it's a pretty cool thing.
0: And if you compare it to other just accelerators, it's even less than those are usually, and way more powerful.
1: Right. I have an O thirty accelerator in my twelve hundred, and it was about. 140, I think, when I bought it, 150. Mm-hmm. But this one, this one puts it to shame. I mean, yeah. speed-wise. Yep. Um, and it's going to be about the same price as what I paid for my accelerator. So, I, I think it's awesome. I think it's a really neat thing.
0: Very cool. Do you want to cover the next item here that Tim provided?
1: Yes. So, Tim says, Dodgy Rocks, an Amiga game by at Nivrig Nivrig
0: now yeah. getting physical? Is that, that a release- question?
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I don't. I don't know. I, I want to make sure I'm pronouncing it right. Yeah, I, but I guess. I, I
0: don't know how else you say get. it. That's it.
1: Yeah. Um, Amiga game now getting physical release of this addictive game released by Phoenixware. Um, I have to be honest. I' not sure I've heard of this one. So let's take a look at. So some- this,
0: this game came out actually fairly recently. Okay. Um. It. I, again, I haven't actually played it yet either It's in my rotation of things to get to It looks okay. like a small, almost like a mobile kind of game A very simple game um, Yeah But probably something that can get really addictive um, But what what I appreciate about this um, Even though it's still in the UK So it's going to add a whole bunch of money to get over here and everything Is mm-hmm. it is a physical release on disc So you get a nice little case You get the game, you get a disc it's something collectible, and it's not like 80 bucks, Eric. It's only fourteen ninety nine physical. So that's I think that's amazing. cool. Yeah. Because I do want to support these and have them and put them on the shelf and show them off. Um, and at that price, I could absolutely do it. Um, it's just, it would be, you know,
1: it's hard to do it when the games come out and they're 80 bucks or, you know, $100 for a boxed copy of it. It's... You just can't buy that many of them. Yeah. So. And,
0: th- and that's why I'm going to be doing a large purchase from The Future 8 Z8bit shortly, because I love their cassette games. And the truth is, I'm not going to load a game, for, for me at least, I'm not going to load a game from disc. I'm not going to load a game from cassette. I'm purely buying it to have the physical item put on my shelf and play the digital on my real hardware. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yep. Cool. Dodgy Rocks. Um, I don't know if you've heard of this thing, the Square One. Eric, I found out about this... Um, recently and uh it kind of combines both of our loves loves for video games and loves for board games Mm uh have you heard of this thing at all it's called the Uh, wizama
1: i have not i've heard of things like this but i have not seen this
0: no so this i'm sorry the company is called wizama um and it is the square one board game console um and it's really cool seeing what people are doing. Now, people have been talking about stuff like this for a long time. We've talked about things like this in the show. But basically, it's a large tablet, board-type thing. And it actually comes with all these accessories. And the accessories um, are identified within the, the board, the, the screen that you lay down. And um, you can play board games on this thing with a TV, you know, with a flat touch TV screen kind of thing on the ground here. Yeah. Um, and little like pieces you move around, and uh, it's—I mean, there's so much to, you can actually dig into this and look at videos and stuff. There's a lot going on here, um, but you can play games where um, they're straight board games with cool animations when you do things. Like it kind of makes it feel like a video game. It's not just like you move here, you get a point. It's like animations and stuff happen. Um, I've seen games where they actually integrate video game elements, like you're holding your pawn and when you do a move, like all of a sudden it becomes a shmup on the board and you're like holding your pawn and turning it to shoot different things and like moving it around. Um, but what's really cool about this one, first of all, now it's on Indiegogo. Mm-hmm. Uh, it started with a Kickstarter, which already finished and those shipped out. Um, and those are kind of like the betas and now on Indiegogo, they're, they're ramping up for the first like big wave of releases of this thing. Um, but you'll notice here, some of the games that are now becoming available from it are from like major board game producers. You got right. Ticket to Ride available, Cthulhu Wars, you have, um, Game of Thrones, the board game, which is a really high end board game. Um, all kinds of, uh, where's the list of the different board game manufacturers that are on this thing, but Asmodee and, uh, a lot of these big name, I can't find them all right now. Um, it's just really cool how much, how much support it's getting it's still really expensive. I looked it up and it's like 600 bucks for the base unit. Yeah. yeah. Um, compared to, I think like 800 bucks for the few accessories and some games and stuff. But when you buy a game, um, I believe it actually provides pieces as well as the software. Um, yeah,
1: I would, I would hope it could, yeah, I would hope it would come with its own little pieces like cards specific to that game. And, and, mm-hmm things like that and it would, like with ticket to ride maybe the little train segments
0: but i and it makes sense why it's expensive though cuz even the cards have like some form of uh, a software id in them so when you put them in different places it knows what card you played down um and it's got this little like dice rolling cup here yeah. and and dice so that when you roll the dice the game knows what you rolled and it brings that into the game um all everything is really interactive it's just really neat i suggest you guys check the link uh in our show notes take a look at it if nothing more than just to be like wow it's cool where they're going with that um nice it's I got like it it's been in the works for years and years and it's got major support behind it and i think eventually this could lead to maybe they come out with the next version for half the price and they get you know twenty thousand people to buy it and it becomes kind of more viable but i don't know yeah we'll see
1: didn't arcade one up they were they were coming out with a board game um, tabletop arcade machine looking thing that did board games I think.
0: Yeah, we talked if about something, something kind of like that. It wasn't as interactive as this was, but I think you're right. I think we did talk about that. Right. Um, I don't have a leak for this, but I did hear about it and it, it makes sense to me. Uh, Capcom as kind of with all these com- co- uh, companies now, uh, it's a bummer that it happened this way, but Capcom basically had some ransomware make it them its way into their system. Okay. And people basically said, hey, we're going to release all this information unless you pay us a ton of money. And Capcom just said, screw it, release it, or we're not paying you. Um, <laughs> Good for them. So basically a leak came out with kind of some of their upcoming games and things. Uh, and two of them of note is they are planning to release, according to these, according to this leak, a brand new Captain Commando game. Okay. And as you and I talked about a few episodes ago, a new Power Stone game.
1: Oh, wow. We were just talking about Power Stone. We were just talking about, we just
0: talking about that, yeah. Yeah, so that's exciting. I'm down with some more Power Stone. Of course, Power Stone one and two being released on Dreamcast and kind of never went anywhere f- past that. But highly regarded games, very cool multiplayer battling games, not yeah, fighting. I would
1: love to. I would love to see a uh, a modern Power Stone because of the popularity of Smash. I think that it could do pretty well.
0: This, I'm going to be honest, Eric. This um, beer. As I drink it more yeah. and more, it's got kind of like a sour note, like a um, bitter note that that's increasing as I drink it.
1: Yeah, I, I I I totally agree with that. It's uh, it's almost like a slight little tart flavor,
0: which is kind of weird. It actually makes me want to lower my score a little, and it actually goes completely against their whole point of being super drinkable. Porters don't normally have an, a sour note or like a tart note interesting I,
1: i'm still enjoying it so i'm gonna I am. keep my i'm gonna keep my score rock steady
0: <laughs> rock steady
1: okay so let me talk about this <laughs> the um, The AMI kit xe release for raspberry pi 4 and 400 is scheduled for march 2021 so what AmiKit kit is is this it's just a kind of a easy way to you plug in your SD card into your Pi 400 and you can turn it into basically a little wedge Amiga and uh, all you need with this kit is the ROMs which you can buy from some other place I don't remember who owns the rights now who knows this month it, who is, owns I, the rights I think it's pack. still
0: uh, Cloanto right yeah that Cluanto. makes Amiga forever and C64 yep. ever
1: and you, if you want legit ones you should definitely buy them or rip them out of your Amiga or wink wink find them somewhere <laughs> Um, But this one, it, there's no probably easier way than this to just convert your Pi 4 or 400 right into an Amiga. And the screens I see on this, they look really, really nice. They have, like, very nice themes for the Amiga OS, um, as you can see by this video that's playing. Um, so if you want a quick and easy way, you don't have the real hardware, because, you know, if you try to buy Amiga hardware nowadays... It's so expensive. So if you don't have it and you want to get into it, this might be a fun way to do it with a cheap Pi 400. You have a little wedge computer Amiga. Now, so AmiKit XE, the 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 you know the link will be in the show notes.
0: And this should be another thing where you, once you put it on a SD card, you can just pull it out and put it in if you yep. want it to be Amiga. And when you don't want it to, you just put another SD card in, right? Right. See, that I, I mean, love. That's what I, that I love. That's
1: what I love. I mean, I know you and me are both we both have a similar philosophy. We want to use real hardware whenever possible. And I do, but I do. There are times when you just, you just want to play something or check something out without getting all the wires out and plugging this and that in. And this is a nice way to do that. And I know there's a lot of people out there that aren't as fanatical about getting real hardware as we are. And this is a really cool way to do it. And and everything I've seen about AmiKit looks really professional looks really good so i i I, when i saw this i definitely wanted to talk a little bit about it
0: very cool a couple of quick releases i wanted to make note of um i was hoping to play this before the show Mm -hmm. start but um on indie retro news they always list all kinds of up-and-coming retro and retro related items uh it was really cool this is out on steam or itch.io you can buy it and download it straight to your computer and then it's 4.99 and it's called Annalyn, A-N-N-A-L-Y-N-N. And it's a really cool 2D platformer, excuse me, made in the style of arcade games from, like, the early 80s. Mm-hmm. And I was just looking at the, um, kind of the video, and it looks kind of like, you know, how Fix-It Felix is a true homage to, like, those old classic games on the C64. Yeah. They just did a really great job. Uh, with this game of making a, a, a even look like the aspect ratio is a arcade as, you know vertical aspect ratio, um, you can see right there it's got some Donkey Kong Junior influence. It has hints to Pac-Man. It feels like a classic arcade title, but you can tell it it, it has obvious influences from multiple games. Um, right. You just kind of have to see it to understand. There's dots everywhere, so that's Pac-Man. This one's almost R- Load Runner-esque. Uh, the little snakes that follow all around are kind of Pac-Man references as well. Um, parts of it feel like um, like mappy. I don't know. Just, it looks like a solid game. I'm really looking forward to, to getting into this one. So I'm going to give that a shot. I would love to see if it, I could actually get it on my MAME arcade machine. That would be super cool. <laughs> That but, would
1: be really cool. Um, so, is that for modern, just modern PCs right now via Steam and, and stuff correct. like that? Correct, correct, yep. Or you can do itch.io and get it straight, but it's it's mainly for PC. It's a PC PCs. game,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: Okay. Very cool. I like it.
0: Yeah. Um, the next item, I don't... I have not heard about this from very many places. I'm not sure why it's not bigger than it is. Uh, okay. But have you ever heard of PCE Works? No. So, PCE Works is a company that for a long time now has re-released and also introduced new PC Engine games for sale. Okay. And they're really uh, top-quality uh, production, um, and, but it's always CD-based games. They're not making Hue cards. They're making CD-based games. Okay. So here's their logo, PCE Works, and you could you know buy games they've released in the past and stuff, really top-quality stuff, collections and things like that. Um, but I've never been able to buy them, Eric, because you know why. Mm-hmm. I don't own a PC engine CD solution. I don't have a way to play PC engine games. Um,
1: I. I, have a, I have a PC engine. Yeah. But yes. I do not have the PC engine CD add on.
0: So I know other companies have coming up, come up with like the uh, analogs coming out with their duo. Um, yeah. Which will pl- be like a replacement for turbo Duo, but they're really hard <clears> to <they> get <throat> their hands on. So what they have come out with here at PCE works is the mega engine. And they were—they actually announced this just at the very end of December. And what's cool about the way they're doing it, Eric, is they're doing it the way you and I like people to do it, which is they announced it after they made it, and it's already working. Like, this is well, the unit. Yeah. Um, they are trying to do get an idea of how many people can buy the thing. They're not doing pre-orders, per se, but they are going to make a run of them, and they're trying to gauge how much interest there is to see how big the run will be. And yeah. when they make them available, you can buy them. So I might not release this show until you and I get ours. Um, <laughs> I think part of that is they're trying to figure out how much they want to charge for it, too. But it is a very cool... It almost looks like a, um, kind of the big desktop Apple TV. You know, the big kind of...
1: You're right. It does look like that.
0: It's gray. It's got orange lettering. It says Mega Engine on it. And it is kind of very simply a um, you know a couple inches bigger than the size of a CD. A little square flat box. A couple of usb ports on the front uh, i think it comes with a um an 8-bit doe saturn style controller if i'm not mistaken oh, yeah. i
1: saw a wireless one i saw a wireless uh there
0: yep. it is 8-bit doe one right there yep but that's the one i have
1: yeah um, i have one of those now too mm-hmm. um very cool so what does this play it plays pc engine cds
0: it it basically is it says right here mega engine is and and they bold make this bold affordable Solution to play your physical PC engine CDs and, of course, Super CDs and arcade CDs like Sapphire, as well as Mega CD and Sega CD discs. So, basically, this is just CD. They don't try to make anything more than that, which right. is perfect for me because those are all the things I don't have a way to play.
1: And you don't need the original systems. No, the, this the, is the this system. Has all... Okay.
0: Yep. It supports well, all kinds this... of controllers for everything from the Xbox and PS4 controllers to wired Sega Saturn controllers, uh, USB ones. Um, 8 does dedicated PC Engine or Mega Drive controllers. Um, but I mean, if you look at it, it's simple stupid. It is it a, a small device. You put a CD in. You plug in one of two controllers. You play the games. That's it. That's all it does.
1: Well, if, this, if, this, if the price is right on this, I might have to do that.
0: I mean, I'm just looking at the size of it and what they're t- saying it can do. Yeah. And if it literally is... You know, a CD drive with a couple of ports and some software that can make it run those games. I can yeah. see this being like one hundred, one twenty, nine ninety nine, something like that, and I'm sold.
1: Yeah, I would. I would be too if I, it's if it's that price. And it, yeah, you're right. I mean, it doesn't come with a controller, right? So I mean, you can. I mean, you don't need to include that. So.
0: Well, I don't. They haven't. They haven't said what it's going to cost, or I don't think they've decided how they're going to sell it yet. So. Um, they also mentioned that they might keep the price high and try to bundle some of their games in there, which actually I'm fine with, because um, that's a way for them to basically make sure they make more money off each unit. Yeah. Um, because you know, making a CD game, they do quality stuff, but the material is you know, pennies on the dollar. Um, so I'd be fine with that. I mean, I just it's a really cool solution, and I think I'd prefer to have the analog solution because it's really nice and high-end and does a lot of things, Yeah, but the they play that game where they don't release very many and everyone fights for them. And I don't, I don't do that. I don't, I
1: don't either. I'll buy this. I don't. I'm going to sign up for this right now.
0: <laughs> yep, I already did. <laughs> you can go online and, and put in your email address and name basically to say if you're interested or not and they uh, will try to get a hold of you once they figure out what they're doing, kind of a thing. So, yep, except at the bottom it says P.S. We've already got considerably more requests than anticipated. If you attach a question to your message form, give us a little time to get back to you. Thanks. They're getting, they're getting... So, here's an example of what they did before. This is called the Gems Bundle. I'm opening it right now. Let's see if it opens here. And uh, so, like this one right here, you got three cans of soda, (laughs) which which, uh, are themed in a a Dracula X, the... um, the highly regard- regarded Castlevania that's on the PC Engine. And a game called Force Gear. And uh, you can just see the pa- the quality of the packaging and everything they've done there. Um, I'm trying to see what they've got here. It even says... Uh, fan favorite showed up on the Wii's Virtual Console. So this is actually a new release. This was not the one that originally came out on the PC Engine, which was Rondo of Blood. Uh, this is actually Dracula X, which... Um, Everyone said the port to the Super Nintendo was terrible, and it was a lot better on the PC Engine. So, but you can see the art books and everything; they just do really top-notch stuff.
1: Yeah, it looks fan- it looks really, really good, and I, I really want that Dracula game.
0: Super cool! I I, I could sit here on, and just surf this website right now and talk about it the whole time, but I'm not going to do that. Super <laughs> cool! Um, that is. Check the link in our show notes.
1: I just signed up for it while we were talking. So <laughs> So See, my next one here is a game a which usually I am not into uh puzzle games, but this one is a homebrew puzzle platform for the Sega Master System, which I know you just talked about uh last month on your Memories Cody's Corner. Yep. Um which I listened to and it was excellent. So thank you for that. <laughs> you flatter me. <laughs> <laughs> this one's <laughs> called Pitman and uh to me, it looks... It is on Sega Master System, and it looks a little... I don't, I don't want to say rudimentary, but...
0: It,
1: <laughs> you know, for a Sega Master <laughs> System, which does have a little bit of power, it it,
0: it, it does seem somewhat basic, but... Very blocky I, sprites and things, yeah. I will say
1: that sometimes on these type of puzzle games, that's kind of the best kind of graphics you can go with. Um, but you, it looks like you go around and you collect things, and you climb ladders, and you're trying to... F- grab all of these uh, metals that are on the level um, I just thought this looked pretty neat uh, so that is it pitman yeah, and
0: anytime we can uh, get a new release for the master system or some of these other systems you don't see a lot of new homebrew on I'm all about making sure we try to support the people that do that stuff
1: Yep. That's why I put this in here, because I know I don't see a lot coming out for the Sega Master System.
0: Yep. Love my Commodore 64 releases, but any other system, I would actually prefer to see more stuff hit the other systems. Yep. So, cool. Um, This is a fun little one. Sega recently decided to show off that they had a prototype for the Sega Nomad they've never shown the world before. Yeah. And uh, in theme with all of their planetary... System names before they go public—they've all had you know planet names, as you've mentioned in the past. Uh, In in
1: a game show, you remember that?
0: (laughs) Yeah, yep, exactly. It's a game show question. For whatever reason, the Sega Saturn stayed stayed with their you know their R and D name, Mm -hmm. the Saturn. Um, Yeah. But here is the Sega Venus, which became the Nomad. Yeah. What do you think of that styling? It is like this silver gold. Um, I don't know. How would you describe that?
1: Yeah, I mean it, it's curvy and and it, it's it's hard to explain, but yeah, it's very beige and gray, which kind of reminds me of uh, <laughs> like PCs of the era. Yeah, <laughs> but it uh, it, it's just it, it's if you think of a handheld system that has a D pad on the left and the buttons on the right, and I mean it it looks like a Nomad kind of, but kind of curvy and. And fat, I guess. Kind of pretty. For lack of a better. It
0: looks like an oversized, like Nintendo DS that was not opened, right? <laughs> With the screen on the front and the buttons on the front and everything. Yeah, yeah. I think it's cool looking. I think I, I think it's cool. Looking, I think I yeah. prefer that to what they actually released. But uh, yeah,
1: I actually like the color a lot too.
0: Yeah, the color is cool. Check it out by checking our show notes. um yes. Oop, I already covered, covered this one. That was my bad. Tim, you had something to say.
1: Yep. <laughs> and This isn't Tim, but he put this in here. Brick Rick. A grave. grave I don't know what this means. Wait, no, brick, no you're, Where are you at? Rick Rick Graveyard Shift by Juan Martinez. Yep. Um, who goes by at R-E-I-D-R-A-C on Twitter. It's for the ZX Spectrum 128K. It's close to release, and anything by Juan Martinez, you need to drop everything and go buy it he or may, download yeah. it because he doesn't sell everything. But um, if this one is for sale, you need to buy it. And uh, he always makes just fantastic games.
0: Yep, he's one of these guys where when they come out with a game, they only ask for a couple bucks if they do, and even if they don't, it's worth they're going to be worth at least a couple bucks. So yeah, I don't even I don't even have to play the game first to make my decision. I'll throw a couple bucks his way. And this one looks really cool. We've, I think we've mentioned it a few times in the past, but um, his games are starting to come out in all kinds of different systems now, which is really fun.
1: Yeah, and it's, it is neat that this is, this is going to play on the 128K. So uh, yep. there's not, really, you know, not a ton of games come out for that, so this is going to be fantastic.
0: And this is a game that kind of has a Snow Bros, Nightmare in the Dark type feel to it. Yes. Actually, very much Nightmare in the Dark because it's all like monster movie um, enemies. You got yeah. um kind of a construction guy for the main character, and the bad guys are like pumpkin head, skeleton, wolfman, vampire, Frank, which I guess is Dr. Frankenstein's monster. Yes. And a bunch more. Very cool.
1: Yeah. Uh, Specky
0: Love. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so you covered the you covered this one. Yep. So here's another Tim one. More Amiga News. The musical talent that is DJ Hoffman has now turned me. his hand would you say <laughs> i said not not, yeah, not, yeah, not me not you.
0: cody hoffman dj hoffman's a different guy
1: has now turned his hand to games and has been since november 2020 working on porting the msx classic metal gear to the amiga 500 and it's looking really good i did see this um a few days ago and it does look really good uh for the metal and we we've played this on the uh you've played this on the msx right
0: I I haven't. I've only played the NES version when I was younger. Okay. Um, which is apparently is not nearly as good. The M- MSX is the one to play.
1: And it's the original one. Yeah. It, uh, yep. People think it came out on NES first. It came out on MSX first. And this looks l- almost like it's given a little facelift. Like it looks a little better, um, at least in my opinion. Uh, but I think this would be fun to play on the Amiga.
0: I've always liked how at the beginning you go into the back of these trucks, and when you yep. go inside the truck, all of a sudden this truck is like the size of a small house.
1: Yeah, it's like, a, <laughs> it's like Doctor Who's TARDIS.
0: <laughs> there you go, exactly.
1: There's a very you UK answer for you. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, it's the TARDIS. Speaking of UK uh, materials, things that people in America aren't going to quite follow. Uh, nice transition. Look at this one. I don't know if you saw this, but... I don't even know what... Yeah, it says Channel 4, which uh, over in, in England, they only had like five channels for most stuff. I guess you have to get like Sky Satellite Television to get more. I don't i do not know. I'm not going to pretend to know. But yeah. I've heard about this. Uh, there was a show called Games Master back in the day, which was like the most popular video game TV show ever in the UK. Yeah. Um, and apparently Channel 4 is resurrecting Games Master. They're going to actually re- recreate it and start making new... Video game television shows which is Exciting regardless of where You live because we can get pretty much anything I- Everywhere now
1: right One way or another wink wink
0: wah, wah. I think it's cool it looks super hokey The picture they have is this, like bizarre king With a huge crown I don't know what that Has to do with video games but I guess that's the uh, Perhaps that's the games master
1: Yeah I remember a few months ago we had a quick Question that was about uh, t- uh, game Gaming television and I know we Mentioned games master and how we, you know, there used to be a channel here, G4, that was all about games. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Most of that has all gone. Most of that has all gone to the wayside, and there's only like esports on TV. So, yeah, it would be a blast if something like this would come on where they did actual reviews of video games like they used to. Um, I, I mean, that would be awesome.
0: Very, and, and very even much. The,
1: even if we had to watch the UK one uh, with their perspective, I still think that would be a lot of fun.
0: Eric, hey, you know how when you hop on your um, your various streaming devices and stuff that have multiple apps built in, there's a little orange one in the corner you never click on called Crackle? Yep. <laughs> there
1: is. It, I never I never click on it.
0: I actually do every once in a while because it's typically free. I think they have just ads in there, but it's all free. And they have a lot yeah. of like bad B-movies and stuff, which I actually love. Um, <laughs> anyways, this is kind of out of left field, but uh, speaking of videos um crackle is about to premiere a five-part documentary series about nintendo's history next month oh so that'd be cool that would be fun to fun to watch it's gonna be called playing with power the nintendo story It comes out on the 1st of march so a reason to click on that little orange app on your uh, roku box or whatever you use (laughs)
1: finally because i don't even know if mine works (laughs) i've never clicked it
0: (laughs) my daughter recently uh uh, came to terms that she actually likes anime <laughs> although she likes oh man she likes well she this is my younger one she really likes like the really uh this one called like glitter force she mm-hmm. likes kind of the over top um kind of younger cutesy you know yeah. hero act you know not the not the dark gritty stuff but sure um so I, I introduced her to crackle and she got so excited and she watched a couple hours of it flipping around trying to find shows she liked and everything she clicked on was, like, a legit Japanese anime with, with subtitles. And she's like, I'm not reading. I'm not going to read. Like, <laughs> I felt bad for her. She wanted to watch. She thought she was in for a world of Glitter Force. Right. Um, we'll find some good my ones. Daughter
1: is, my daughter is really into manga and uh, anime right now. Yeah. So, like, I, I stop off at that Barnes & Noble, that one I saw you at that one time. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I pick And I pick her up, like, different ones she asks for, like, once a week.
0: She just loves it. Yeah. She loves that That's stuff cool. so. It's pretty neat. What a, what a what a caring dad.
1: I try to be. <laughs> I try to be. So, let's talk about this. 8-bit Slicks. Have you heard about this? So there is a um, remake yes. of Slicks and Slide, which I've never played that. Have you?
0: I have not played Slicks and Slide, no.
1: Okay, so this is called 8-bit Slicks and it's coming to isn't it the this one
0: it Says Apple I This S- was the Apple II, it says Apple II, Atari XL and XE, and the C64 and C128. Now, I've I've actually played the Atari uh, 8-bit slicks, because when I first got my Atari uh, about a year ago Mm -hmm. with the SD solution, that was like a new release. So they had already converted that, you know, over a year ago, and I did Mm -hmm. play that, and um, it's a pretty solid title. It's probably one of the games I go back to the most on the Atari Okay. But I believe the, the Apple and the Commodore versions are new. Yeah.
1: I, I, I'm, as you know, I'm a sucker for the top down racers. I love them. Uh, and this one looks really good. So um, I am really looking forward to playing this on the Commodore 64. Well, I, I have to admit, I didn't, I'm, I think I misread this. I thought it was going to be a Commodore 64 remake of a game that was already on the Apple II and Atari, but that doesn't seem to be the case.
0: Yeah. I think it's um, just a port.
1: Yeah, so I'm looking forward to this. I think it'll be a fun thing to try out on the, on the uh, Commodore 64 and the Atari XL slash XE.
0: Yeah, it's a port of a remake. But now I'm looking at three, three pictures side by side, mm-hmm. and I, it's funny because usually I wouldn't think this, but the Apple actually has the most appealing color palette. <laughs> right. And you don't see a lot of new Apple software, so I would actually really like to try it on the Apple. Yeah. I haven't talked about the Apple in quite a while. In fact, that actually leads into a topic I forgot to put in the notes here. Okay. But there is a recent update to the floppy emu that you, you and I both have for our Apple computers.
1: I meant to put that in here, too. That's crazy.
0: <laughs> and I don't have the details in front of me. So since we don't have it, we can just kind of mention. Uh, they added a b- bunch of features, I guess, people have been really pushing for for a long time. Um, yeah. So you can do a firmware up- update. And I know it allows you to basically have more virtual disks. But what else did it have on there? Do you remember? The,
1: I don't remember. I didn't actually read the the you know I was talking about this on Discord, I think. Yeah, it was Discord. On the amigos Discord, which by the way, you could join that if you support our show.
0: There you go. I love it.
1: Um but we were talking about that that it, the, he doesn't come out with trivial updates. When he updates these these uh, floppy emus, they usually have some kind of very good upgrade to them, something very useful. So These aren't like little incremental things. These are usually very useful feature-packed updates. So I definitely want to bust out the apples, which I haven't used mine in a long time. So it'll be a fun time to do that.
0: So I just pulled it up real quick, and here's a quick uh, overview. WOZ and NIB disk images are now going to be writable, which they weren't before. Um, You can now format five and a quarter floppies. That's good. Which is awesome. Awesome. And here's the one I already mentioned. Dual five and a quarter inch drive emulation is now here.
1: That's amazing.
0: Um, And then it said, one more thing effective immediately. I'm cutting the price of the floppy EMU model C by 10 bucks and the deluxe bundle by 20 bucks. (laughs) Wow. He's tested the new prices for a while as a temporary sale and based on the response, he decided to make those prices permanent. Well, Eric, you and I bought it at the wrong time. <laughs>
1: <laughs> of course. Of course
0: we did. <laughs> so, no, that's very cool. Very cool. And I, I, need, I do need to get my Macs out and my my Apples out and start playing with that thing again. Yep. Cool.
1: So, the last one is half news and half catching up is I finally got my Amiga Addict issue number one.
0: Oh, cool. Very cool.
1: Which is right here. You can see that, Cody. Whomp.
0: There, I see, uh, I see Amiga, Amiga Bill, Bill right on the cover.
1: Yep, and it took a very long time to get here, longer than it should have. Um, Something is really broken in our world and our postal systems. Um, (laughs) But now that I got this one, issue two is already out, and people in the U.S. and everywhere around the world are already receiving their issue two. Oh,
0: really? I didn't even know about that. Yep.
1: And so I need to get in there. I am going to try to. I think I'm going to subscribe to do you know a full subscription to it instead of I I wanted to buy just one at one you know one to test out, you know, I wanted to see that it was good and made of high quality and all that. And it really is. Um, it it's, I've only about halfway through reading it, but it is really great. So it's called Amiga addict. It is a real, not PDF magazine. Mm -hmm. Um, and check it out, go to their website and subscribe. It's worth it. Looks great.
0: Very cool. I have one last news item. Um, and then I think we are done with our news. I'm sure there's a bunch of stuff we missed, but hey. Um, multiplayer vehicle combat game, Drive-By. Speeds onto the Switch next month. I ripped that straight off of nintendolife.com. But Eric, I thought you'd be excited about this. This new game coming out inspired by Twisted Metal.
1: Mm-hmm. One of my favorite PlayStation series games, Twisted Metal. Love it.
0: Yep. It says also Rocket League and Mario Kart. So it's like, I'm assuming it's going to be kind of like a Twisted Metal, but kind of with a some of the improvements that modern games have made um but if you look at it it looks very twisted metal you're going through these different cities Mm -hmm. um the picture here shows a car with a a smiley face with crosses for eyes and or an ambulance and if it's anything like twisted metal you're going to be bashing into people and blowing them up and using rockets and uh, i am all about this it feels like kind of a revitalization of the vehicle combat game which kind of hasn't really had any installments for quite a while so
1: yeah so march 12th it looks like on the switch gotcha and then it's also going to be it's also going to come out on steam but i didn't get the date on that but on the switch the 12th which is let's face it that's where i'm going to buy it
0: (laughs) we'll talk about that in catching up but it's funny i am i have been kind of uh pulled away from the switch and going back to my playstation 4 lately okay but um that's But it all depends. Like this, I'd probably get on the Switch because I have the most on which on the on, most online friends that I actually can interact with on the Switch, and this is perfect for that. So yeah, even, this would be even though the Switch has like the worst multiplayer support. But hey, um, you're right. Best couch co-op support, but probably worst online multiplayer support.
1: Like lobby kind of yep. getting together and playing games. You're right. It's that. It's
0: the dirt worst. The dirt worst, Aaron. Cool. Tree Parked. All right, Eric, we've uh, we've just about tied up the news. That's all there is to know in the world. There's nothing else you need to know.
1: Nothing important.
0: (laughs) Uh, So let's go ahead and hear what you have to say in uh, another installment of Eric's Take. Eric's Take!
1: For this month on Eric's Take, I wanted to talk about a newly acquired machine I have and take a first look at that, and that is the Atari 7800 Pro system. As uh, you guys may know from past episodes, as a kid I owned an Atari 5200. It was pretty much the only console we really owned. Um, And I got a lot of mileage out of that, and I loved it. Loved all the arcade ports, loved um, the graphics and sound. I thought it was fantastic. Uh, The controllers left a little bit to be desired, but it was a good system overall. And I never had the Atari 7800, and I didn't know anyone that did have it, so... Over the years, I've thought about grabbing one. Uh, One thing I really liked about it on paper was that it was a true multitasker. It could play 2,600 games as well as 7,800 games. And that intrigued me because, as uh, I'm sure many of you know, uh, desktop real estate is at a premium in this hobby. So the more, uh, or I should say, the less room you use, the better. So I thought that that would be... um, a pretty cool system to look at. And then I'd watch videos and things like that and I noticed that the graphics look really good. I mean, they are mostly arcade ports, but there's nothing wrong with that and there was a lot of neat games on that. Um little a few little things I do know about the 7800 and this is could be uh more or less accurate, but it came out sometime in 1986. Uh, It came after the 5200. Um, Of course, it has the compatibility with the 2600. Um, I did watch, uh, I think, some kind of documentary once, or maybe it was on a podcast, I don't remember, but they talked about how the system was announced in 1984 at some show, and it sat in warehouses until 1986. Um, I don't remember exactly the reasons for that, but... I think it had to do with possibly the video game bubble bursting, and um, it it may have had to do with some lawsuits by Atari. Who knows what happened, but um, it sat in warehouses until 86, and once they got around to releasing it, um, it was starting to look a little dated, a little outclassed by the machines that were starting to come out around that time. Um, I know that it uses a 6502C chip, uh, codenamed Sally by Atari. Um, For sound, it uses a TIA chip, which was found in the Atari 2600. Uh, I don't know what they did, but it sounds way better than the Atari 2600. So while it might be using the same chip, I think it's kind of learned some new tricks. Um, This system, the 7800 and the 2600, were both discontinued in 1992, which, of course, I think is amazing for the Atari 2600, Um, probably less so than the 7800, but... That is, it is what it is. Um, there were 59 official releases for the 7800. I found that pretty interesting. This might be a system that you could pretty easily get a complete library. And I say that, but uh, one of my favorite games that uh, I've played recently on our show was Ninja Golf, and there is a version for that on the 7800. And I went and looked it up, and it is over $100. So many many of the games on the 7800 are really cheap i mean three four bucks ten bucks um here and there but there are a couple that are really really expensive so um i think it might be more possible on this system than any other to get a complete set but it might cost you a little bit for a couple of the cartridges that are kind of more expensive um so let's talk about the Specific Atari 7800 that I received recently. I received this from our good old buddy Tenmark, or Doug, on the 10-Minute Amigo Retrocast. Um, He had posted that he had an Atari 7800 or that I was interested in one and that he had one. Um, And he was up front. He said this one's not in that it works really well, but it's not cosmetically in the greatest shape. Um, I'm holding it in my hand right now. For those of you that have never seen an Atari 7800 Pro system, it looks kind of like the Atari 5200, except much smaller. Um, or it looks kind of like the Atari, I don't know what they called it, the Junior, or the, it was the cost-reduced one later in its life. It looks a lot like that. It's much smaller. Um, the, the cartridge port um, is a standard 2600 cartridge port. And, um, It takes Atari 2600 cartridges, obviously, but the 7800 ones are nearly cosmetically identical to those. Um, So this is basically a little console, has a silver stripe along with a little rainbow kind of highlights. There's four buttons on the system itself. So these are not on the controller, which I think is a good thing. Um, But there is a power button, a pause button, a select and a reset button. Um, If we look at the bottom, or I'm sorry, on the back, the bottom just has a label. If we look on the back, there is a power port um, and then an RF modulator switch for different uh, channels. Um, And then there is a RF composite um, port. On the front of the system are two joystick ports and then two switches down at the bottom. And I'm going to be honest with you, I don't know what these switches do, so I'm going to have to look into that. I haven't messed with them, and they haven't interfered with anything I've been playing with, so um, I'm going to have to look that up. Um, Other than that, so cosmetically, the system is a little banged up. There's little dings in the silver stripe along the thing, but the worst of it is there's a little slotted vent grill in the back, and it looks like somebody hit it with something or it fell, and it busted out a little square right in the top of the system and f- extending from that is a crack that goes all the way down by the cartridge port. So when you put in a cartridge, it kind of flexes that crack and can make it bigger or smaller. Um, I, I'm not all that super, like, really interested in cosmetics when it comes to machines. I'd rather that they play well, and this one does. Um, there are a few little chips out of the plastic in the back, too. One by the RF modulator port. And one by the power port. These ones are, I find, a lot more curious because I don't know how you would break the plastic in that area unless you were trying to do some kind of weird mod or, or something. I have no idea, but they're back there. They don't interfere with anything. They don't cause any problems, so I'm not really going to worry about them too much. Um, other than that, the system's not in that bad. A ca- I mean, if you just took a look at this from a distance, it looks fine. Um, it's just the little crack and... Uh, or the big crack. The cracks probably about two inches long. Um, It's in pretty good shape. So if we take a look at the the joystick, um, this one is called the Atari ProLine joystick. And it is interesting in that it is, um, it looks like kind of like if you picture holding a remote control in your hand. And then up in the, near the top is the joystick, and it's just uh, maybe about an inch and a half long has this little knob on it that looks almost like a mushroom head um, and then there are two buttons that you have to grip and you basically can use your thumb to press it, um, press one of them, and then you would use maybe your index finger on the other side of the joystick. So, And the funny thing is, and I didn't know this till I got this system, they are two independent buttons. They don't do the same thing. So. The left button is the basic fire button, like you would see in any game, and then there is a second or B button on the left side. And in some games, it does do something completely different. Like I have Xevious, and the left one does the regular straightforward fire, and the button on the right does uh, drops the bombs for a ground attack. So that is interesting. I found that really interesting. Now, in my research on this machine, I did find that because of the popularity of systems like the Master System and, and the Nintendo Entertainment System coming out um, in other parts of the world, like Europe, um, Atari Europe decided to come out with a gamepad that looks more like those traditional... Yeah, it's an official Atari gamepad. It has um, a directional pad on the left, but it does have a little joystick that sticks out of it, very small, like thumb, almost like a thumb stick. And then it has the two buttons, uh, button A and button B, that, of course, are independent, like I was just talking about. Um, I think it looks really cool, the gamepad. Um, I thought about looking for one, but there are third-party sellers um, on eBay uh, that do sell kind of modern ones that are new. They look more like NES controllers, and I might pick one of those up. We'll see. Um, the one thing I can tell about, I tell you about that joystick playing it The first day, I and I've only had this Atari seventy eight hundred about a week, uh, and using that controller, um, the first day did fatigue my hand. I'm not used to holding a joystick like that. It it is unnatural for me to hold it these days like that. It's a lot like the Atari fifty two hundred joystick. That one had four different buttons on the left, which two on the left, two on the right, but on the sides just like this Proline controller. it, it does fatigue your hand after a while. And luckily, by the second day when I was playing it, it didn't really bother me that much. Um, I, would not, I would never say that it is the most ergonomic and uh, hand-friendly joystick. It is absolutely not. So that's why I am thinking about getting the game because I am starting to get intrigued by a lot of these games and doing high-score challenges and stuff like that with them because uh, the games on here are really cool, which I'm going to get to in a minute. Second thing... Um, the this I I for some reason in my mind thought that this had a natural composite port. It does not. It is an RF port in the back. So when I took a look at that, the first thing I did was I started looking up mods because I, I would prefer a composite port. So I started looking up mods and there are mods aplenty for this, um for the 7800. Uh you can go get a little little uh setup that you can install inside your 7800. But, you know what? I just wanted to play this first before I did any mods, so I plugged it in. I have a little adapter that goes into my CRT that uh, lets you plug it right into um, an RF cable right into a... You don't need the RF modulator box. It's just a little um, screw-type thing that screws into the RF modulator port on your CRT or TV. And you can just plug the RF modulator or RF cable right into it. And... uh, you know, I've done that with my Atari uh, 2600, and it did not look good, so I did a mod on my 2600 for composite, and it looks great. Uh, so I thought it would be kind of similar on this one. I'd plug it in, it wasn't great, and then I'd really be motivated to go do the mod. Turns out, it looks fantastic, which um, surprised me. It, it, over Even with RF modulator, it looks incredible on my CRT, so... I am contemplating leaving this kind of natural as it is because it looks great. So I may not even look into that. Um, so the RF modulation looks fantastic. I I think that is great. Um, I got games with this. I got 10... Well, um, Doug uh, included two games, One-on-One and Xevious. Um, and that is the old EA game, One-on-One. It's a basketball game. And... Uh, I'm just going to bend down here and grab these cartridges. Um, I got several of these, and I'm not going to go into each one. I'm going to just tell you the ones I got. And if I've played them so far, I'll tell you just what I think about them real quick. So I got Ms. Pac-Man. Looks amazing. I mean, it looks exactly like the arcade game. Plays really smooth. It's fantastic. Galaga, which is, again, sounds great. Sounds exactly like Galaga. Looks fantastic, really good dig dug same just perfect Pole position too um, I played it it's okay i I mean i I like pole position and everything but it's it's okay got choplifter it's uh it's a tough one as as choplifter is uh, but it's pretty good I got centipede I got zevius, which I had previously mentioned looks good I got karotica the label on this one looks really really bad um, and this one was this one was in my garage um it had just been sitting there for a while um it was mixed in with the 2600 lot that i got Um, and then the last one is the only game i'm really going to go into because this is the one i've been playing the most because i've totally fallen in love with it i love it it's food fight on the 7800 so i plug this in and the graphics don't look great i'm gonna be honest with you it's a pretty rudimentary looking game uh, and I didn't know how to play it, but the beauty of the games on the 7800 is that there's some simplicity to them. You really don't need a manual with any of these to pick up how to play them. I mean none of these need require um, a manual because mostly they're arcade ports which you know are designed to be simple to learn, hard to master so that it eats up your quarters, right? Food fight, is a game where you're, you're, you're a guy on the right side of the screen and there's an ice cream cone on the left side of the screen and you, your job is to get over to it and eat it. Simple as that. that that's the rule. That, that's as simple as, as it gets. So the problem is, is that there's like these little holes in the ground and little bad guys pop up out of the holes and they start coming towards you. Late In the second level, they will start actually even throwing things at you too. Um Around the play field are, is food, piles of food. If you run over to the pile of food, you can grab it and you can throw the food. Now, there is, um, a, there is a bonus to not using a lot of food in the food fight because when you go and you eat that ice cream cone, you get a few points for every uh, leftover food that's on the ground. So you don't want to use up all the foods throwing it at the bad guys. You want to get over to that ice cream cone and eat it and move to the next level as quickly as possible. Um, when you kill a guy on there or you you don't know, kill him, you hit him with food and they disappear, when that happens um, a new guy's going to pop out of one of those holes that, that are around there. By the way, don't step on the holes. You'll fall through the hole. So I'm sitting here playing this and it is addictive. I have I fell in love with this game. I couldn't put it down. I played it over and over again. It's a blast. So Food Fight on the 7800 so far is probably my favorite game. Uh, I'm loving it. So Overall, though, all these games look really good. And for sharing the same chip, the TIA chip, that the 2600 does, the system sounds great, too, which is pretty amazing to pull off for the system. So overall, I'm really happy with this uh, purchase. And I am going to start collecting uh, games that I love from the arcade and ports and and systems that Atari was really well known for. And I'm hoping, I mean, I'm already 10, wait, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, yeah, I'm already 10 cartridges into the collection, and so I have 49 left to go. Who knows? When I'm around town, I might look and see if there are there are cartridges I don't have, and maybe in a couple of years I'll have a complete set, who knows? Um, but I am looking forward to playing these games and collecting and getting a game and really diving in that. But like I said in the beginning, it's a great multitasker, so it's going to sit there, and I think it's going to be my main 2600 and 7800 system. Anyhow, that is my uh, first peek at the Atari 7800. Thanks for listening, and if you have any comments for us, reach us on Twitter um, at pixel underscore guidon, or you can reach us um, on our email at podcast at pixelguiden.com. I'd love to hear your thoughts on the Atari 7800. Thanks a lot.
0: Hey guys, how about we take a little break and check with our friend over the pond? That's right, it's Tea Time with Tim.
2: Hi everyone, and welcome to another Tea Time with Tim. This time around, I'm going to do something a little different. On episode 51, Cody did Cody's Corner, all about some memories of his. And I thought, well, that's like a good opportunity for me to actually try and do some of this myself. So I sat back and I thought, what can I cover for this month's Tea Time with Tim? What memories can I surface and see if there's anything that I can actually talk about for a length of time and perhaps not have it scripted? Everything I record normally is pre-prepared, comes from the mind, but uh, always written and put down on paper first and then see where I go from there. This time I thought, well, let's give it a try and let's do some ad-libbing and actually do something, bring it back from the memory as I go. If you're a regular listener to the podcast, you may know that back in the day, in the mid mid to late 80s, I guess it was, I first started off my journey with computers or retro computers as they are now, working in a computer shop. I grew up in an area not too far away from London in a town called High Wycombe in Buckinghamshire. This town is quite a big town. We had lots and lots of shops and the big centre shopping arcade. Um, and also on the outer, outskirts of town, we had a lot of other shops. Those were mostly small independent retailers that couldn't afford the big rental prices in the main centre of the town. One of those such shops was a computer shop called Fidget Computerware. Yep, that's right. Fidget Computerware. Now they were located at 150 Desborough Road, High Wycombe, Bucks. My first memory of Fidget Computerware was when I had my ZX Spectrum. I was looking around for somewhere to buy new games from and looking for something different. I had some money in my pocket that I'd been given for my birthday and I was looking for rather than a a game I was looking for a new piece of hardware to go with my Spectrum. One of my friends at school had told me about a computer shop that was along Desborough Road. So I asked my mum and dad to take me down into town. And that whilst they were shopping, I ventured into, um, walked along the road, and uh, found the shop. I have a vivid memory of first walking into the shop and being absolutely amazed. It wasn't a massive shop by any means, but the level of items that they stocked in the shop and all the different ranges they covered. So even back in, I guess it must have been probably 1985, I first went into the shop. They had Commodore 64, ZX Spectrum, Amstrad, uh, all the 8-bits um, none of the none of the sixteen bits were really available at the time, and that was that was due to come very very shortly. But at the time, yes, I had my ZX spectrum. I can remember perusing the shelves and looking at all the different spectrum games and then asking about the different hardware that they had in stock for the system. The guy in the shop pointed me towards the usual things like joysticks and interface cartridges like uh, joystick interfaces and speech units. I seem to remember one particular one which was called the Curra micro speech. Now, I had a friend that had one of those, and that wasn't really of interest to me. But one thing that he did point out was a slow mo device. Now, this was a little device that you plugged into the back of the uh, Spectrum on the edge connector on the on the port at the expansion port at the back, and it had uh, a lead coming off of it, and it went to a dial. And this rotary dial, you could turn up or down and it would actually, I don't know exactly how it worked. Maybe it was based on interrupts or something along those lines, Um, but it actually kind of like slowed down the games. But what it did really was just introduce lag and jitter into the system um, and made the games a bit complicated to play. I didn't find this out until I bought the cartridge because I thought, well, this would this will help me. So I believe it's around about 15 to 20 pounds, which was a fair bit of money. Um, So that was most of my birthday money. And I think I bought a game. I can't remember what it was at the time, uh, but I bought a game with it as well. One of the games I was playing at the time was a game called Starquake. Um, this is a brilliant game on the spectrum i'd highly recommend checking it out if you've not uh, played that one before um, but it's kind of like a puzzle platformer um, and you control blob uh, going around um, different levels on this on a uh, in a planet um, and the idea is that you've got to find uh, different pieces of uh, the core the central core that have been scattered around the area um, and you have to pick up these pieces of the core and uh, assemble it and then you uh, complete the game anyway that's by the by Um, so I used this I don't know must have been for about 15-20 minutes um, and realized that this was an absolute crock (laughs) Um, it was completely useless and just made things even worse so packaged it back up and um, that was going to be returned back to the shop. I believe it's around that time that um, I decided that I wanted to actually get rid of the Spectrum and move over to a Commodore 64. So I don't think that device went back to the shop. I think it actually just got sold along with the Spectrum at the time to make way for my lovely Commodore 64 turning up. So after a while, uh, once I got my Commodore 64, uh, Fidget or the fidget computerware, I'll just call them fidget from here on in, was the place where I always then went and hung out uh, with some friends. We would go to the shop uh, on a Saturday and we would just hang out in the shop and speak to the people, some of the people that turned up there, and also got friendly with the staff. So the owner of fidget computerware was a chap called Neil uh he uh started the business along with another person called paul who was kind of like a silent partner um there was also another couple of people that worked there uh julian who was neil's good friend for many many years he worked there uh there was also a very tall <laughs> very tall chap um and he was called uh paddy believe it or not I, it was his nickname i can't remember what his actual real first name but i always just knew him as paddy There's also another chap who I always got on very, very well with, and his name was Carl. He wasn't really so much into the computer side of things, but he was an absolutely fantastic artist um, and would always be um, drawing bits and pieces just sat up in the shop. Um, He'd um, have uh, a pastel set out or something like that, and he'd just be um, just drawing there in the shop, sat uh, sat up in the corner at the back of the shop. Some amazing work that he did. And there's, there's more memories that I can talk about, Carl, as well. Over the course of the next 12 months, I'd get to know the guys who worked in the shop pretty well. As a very young teenager, trying to get more games for your computer, the way that you could finance those was normally with a paper round or some kind of evening or Saturday job. I worked several such jobs. I can remember I had a paper round. Um, That was a big, long paper route that I'd used to get up and do in the mornings. And I also worked in a fish and chip shop. Um, And (laughs) the the strange job that I had was actually to uh, peel the potatoes and put them in the chipper machine. Um, I won't go into too much details about that. But, um, yeah, that, that was a job I held for a while. But the one job that I really wanted to do was actually spend my Saturdays and evenings, if I could, working in the computer shop. And one of my good friends was a, a chap called John Hall. Now, he actually uh, managed to snag the, the job working in the computer shop that I really wanted at the weekends. And uh, he was a year older than me. So when it was time for him to leave school, he gave up that job and I was offered the, the position of Saturday worker in the shop. So off I would go every Saturday morning, get on the bus and get into town, walk the little way from the bus station over to the shop on Desra Road. And there I would be for the rest of that day, happy, absolutely happy in a place where I was able to just uh, obviously work. I, w- I was being paid to work, but also you're being played to play games. Uh, And that's that's what we did. We would uh, we would obviously be working, serving customers in between. We'd be playing and talking about games. We would have the regular customers that used to come into the shop. Um, They used to sit around with us and just talk about general stuff, computers. And uh, we had a few uh, comic collectors. Um, And because we weren't too far away from London, uh, they would often um, go into London Uh, go into places like I think it was Forbidden Planet uh, buy all their uh, comics and bring them back and they would kind of like sit down in the in the back of the shop and sit down and read through some of their comics and some of the other guys that were were there working in the shop and I think it was um, Eddie was another guy that worked in the shop he was well into his comics so he was always interested to see what they brought back from London so yes Saturdays From, I guess, the age of uh, 14 up to 16 was generally spent in the shop either on the weekends, either as a customer or working in the shop. Now, the guys who I worked with, um, they were very influential on my teenage years, Uh, maybe for good and also for some bad reasons. But we won't go into those right now, (laughs) Um, but mostly because they were a fair bit older than me. Uh, I know Julian and Neil, who... um, who julian ran the kind of ran the shop and neil was the owner um they were both kind of in their mid-30s even back in the 80s then um and they were very influential on me um they kind of took me under their wing as it were um and uh not only you know were, were relatively protective over me i guess in some ways um but were also um you know willing to teach me the ways of the world and certain things uh yeah it was it was a it was a fantastic time so eventually the time would come for me to sit my exams and on my 16th birthday i um, finished my last exam i put my pen or pencil down whatever it was got on the bus and uh into town and started actually working full-time in the computer shop as well Uh, they offered me a full-time position so that's where i went i didn't go into college or any other higher education i went straight in to be a man of the world and a a working man being a retail establishment obviously your patterns were throughout the normal working week Uh, the shop would be okay it would be busy enough uh, to keep us all going but the mainstay was the weekends Uh, certainly on a saturday Um, I know there was occasions where we did open on a Sunday towards the busier time of year. So obviously the holiday Christmas season. Uh, But for most of the part, most of the year, we were mostly open on Saturdays um, and uh, uh, Saturdays only, should I say. And that was our busiest time uh saturdays was literally wall-to-wall people probably from when the shop opened at 10 o'clock probably around about until sort of like three o'clock four o'clock in the afternoon where eventually it died off until we closed at five o'clock saturdays would be obviously the busy trading day Um, we would have people in the shop all day Um, they would be coming in uh, looking at games and computers. So upstairs, uh, there was a business area. Uh, So we sold mostly a lot of the uh, software for Amstrad systems at the time. So there was the Amstrad PCW, uh, the personal computer, which is the one that came with the printer Um, that ran a CPM operating system. Um, We used to sell a fair bit of stuff for that with the three inch drive, a lot of business software. There was a few games on that one, Uh, but mostly that was all the business stuff. Uh, We also used to do the Amstrad uh, range of PCs, so the 1512 and the 1640. They were very, very popular, uh, but we didn't actually sell those computers themselves. We would often say, well, um, go and buy the computer from somewhere like Dixon's or Comet or Lasky's, I think it was at the time um and bring it back into us and we'd quite happily upgrade it and add a hard drive into it and all those other good things Uh, but we weren't really interested in selling those because the margins i know were very very small on those machines at the time Uh, so we were really more about um charging people to upgrade their systems um and yeah expand them and and put the things in because it was often cheaper for them to go and buy the base model 1640 or 1512 and then bring it into us and then we would upgrade the ram and add a hard card or a hard drive into it for them going back downstairs in the shop from memory i can uh, remember as you go down the stairs right in front of me would have been uh, a big rack of uh, budget titles so the Spectrum, Commodore, Amstrad, MSX all of those sort of ones they were small just the small cassette tape uh, type boxes and we would have uh, just basically wire racks screwed onto the wall um, and that was just full of full and absolutely full some more with uh, tape games all the budget labels so like Code Masters and Mastertronic all those sort of things Hits kicks uh, all those all those labels so we had all of those there. Then going back through the shop uh, we had some big wooden shelves that were at an angle um, and on those shelves would be all the full price games. So again Amstrad Commodore Spectrum were the main three. then going to the back of the shop, Uh, before the 16 bits came out, we would have, um, some of the other systems running at the back. So like the, uh, MSX, um, and I think there was an Atari 8 bit at one stage running at the back there as well. And also the BBC micro. Um, I know that Neil, the owner of the shop, he was uh, a big BBC fan, so he would have the BBC running at the back as well. And he'd often be tapping away on it and programming and doing bits and pieces. Um, And then eventually, uh, as time went on, when I started working full time, obviously the 16 bits came in. So the back of the shop was dedicated to the 16-bit micros. So we had to start off with, we had the Atari ST when that came out. Um, we would uh, be one of the main stockists actually for the Atari ST at the time. Uh, we had a big range of um, software, so games and business software at the time. And that's where I remember playing Mud Pies for the first time. Um, that's just been recently featured on um, one of the Coco streams that I've just done uh, on our Twitch channel. So I played Mud Pies and several other games on the Atari ST. Um, and then came the Amiga. Because we sold the Atari ST, uh, a lot of people that came into the shop were very loyal customers to the Atari ST. And certainly, uh, especially the people that worked in the shop Um uh, Neil and Paddy both had uh, Atari STs. Julian by this time had left. He would departed to go back to Wales. Um, but um, uh, Eddie, who also worked in the shop at the time, um, he had an Atari ST. And eventually I bought an Atari ST as well. Um, now, one thing that I can specifically remember is uh, going down, uh, coming into the shop one day And there was a new computer that had just arrived. Um, We had uh, it all come in its boxes. So it was a nice big shiny box of the computer and a nice big shiny box of the monitor that came with it. And this was the very first time I ever saw the Amiga A500 and we had a Commodore 1084 monitor to go with it. My first task of that day was to set this computer up. So I I can vividly remember unpacking it all from the box, getting it all set up, getting the monitor out, uh, grabbing one of the monitor plinths, like a little uh, metal plinth off of the shelf, uh, taking it out of stock and setting up the monitor on that, getting the computer all configured up. And I think we had uh, probably about five or 10 pieces of software that we could try this out. Obviously, we had the workbench disk that came with it as well. So now we would enter into the magical age of the Amiga and I was smitten with the machine from the very first time I switched it on Um, and it didn't take me long uh, to realize that this was the machine for me and my ST would be on its way. Games that I can first remember playing, I think the first one was probably Fairy Tale Adventure, uh, which is uh, sort of like a, a role-playing type of game. Um, but it's similar to sort of like the Ultima-style games where it's, uh, you're kind of like wandering around a map, um, steering the character around and encountering different um, attacks and battles and those sort of things. Uh, but also I can remember extremely vividly was Starglider by Rainbird, And this was done by a company called Argonaut Software. What was unique about Starglider and was one of the first games that I can actually remember this is that it actually had proper digital music uh, sampled that would play back on the title screen. And this is one of the things that really grabbed me about the Amiga is the power of not only the the, the ability to actually process and play sampled soundbacks of a nice high quality as as it was then, um, but also the sound and the graphics of the of the of the computer. A month or so would pass and eventually I would managed to find a way to sell my Atari ST and order my first Amiga, which is an Amiga A500. I think it just had the standard 512k of RAM, um, and I just had maybe a few blank floppy disks and a couple of friends that were able to help out. I didn't really buy any games, but also the good thing was that Being working at a computer shop, I didn't necessarily need to buy games. Um, There was no problem with me actually taking some of those games with me um, of an evening and then sitting down and playing some of those games. So that's one of the things that I can remember from working in a computer shop back in the 80s is that from probably about uh, 1986 when I first started working in there from uh, when I was doing the Saturday work is that it wasn't a problem for me to obtain games. Um, And obviously, I would be immersed in uh, a lot of games in the shop that you'd be able to just sit and load and play on the systems. So I can remember going through an awful lot of games. Now, this was a good thing, but it was also a bad thing uh, because I think it gave me bad habits Uh, because part of my job was obviously I need to cover a good... Uh, The breadth of the systems. So I need to know about all of the systems and I needed to know a little bit about all the games, not only from obviously reading magazines, but experiencing those games firsthand but I didn't really zone in onto any one particular game and I didn't really spend a huge amount of time getting to know those games in depth I'd probably play the first first level or first couple of level of some of those games some games I'd load up and I had my own opinion of them Um, obviously I still had to sell those games in the shop um, but most most of the time people were uh, going along with the reviews from most magazines like zap and crash um, so those those will generally be your kind of uh, go-to th- systems or or ways that you would find that information because obviously you didn't have the internet so we would look in the pages of zap and crash and that would also decide what we were going to stock a lot at the time Uh, so those magazines were very influential not just on the general public people that bought the magazines and were buying the games but also people like me who worked in the shops and needed to know about those games quickly to make a purchasing decision so my Amiga 500 would plod along quite nicely for a for a couple of months or so um but then it g- generated a very strange fault I think it was the, the the um the main the Agnes chip um kept popping out at random locations and crashing the computer I can remember just giving it had to give it a light tap on the top um after I'd turned it off turn it back on again and it would come back But eventually that got a bit much and it needed to go back. Um, It needed to go back for repair. So what I actually did was um, send the computer off and uh, got a refund on it and uh, from the same place that I got my Amiga 500, which was a company called Addons, I think it was, who was a Commodore distributor in the UK, they had an amazing deal going on on the Amiga 2000. Uh, that came with a hard disk drive, SCSI hard disk drive, and the PC XT bridge board with a five and a quarter inch floppy drive. Um, now, this was considerable amount of money. I seem to think it was around about, uh, could have been close to 800 900 pounds at the time maybe even more Uh, but because I worked in the shop um, Neil was very kind and was happy for me to uh, purchase it get it in and then I would pay him um, weekly out of my salary towards the machine so that brings us up towards the end of 1988 and just knocking into 1989 I think that's where we'll leave it for now. Um, If you really do like this, I'm more than happy to carry on and uh, explain some of my uh, other things that I've been involved with in the computer industry after that. Uh, But for now, I think we'll leave it there. I hope you enjoyed this trip down memory lane with me and I'll catch you on the next exciting episode of the Pixel Guiden podcast. Take care, everyone. Bye.
0: All right, everyone, Eric and I are back live here in the studio. Uh, I think it's time for us to crack open another brewski, my friend.
1: Yes. And you can explain this one. This is the one you provided.
0: Yeah, back-to-back porters, Eric. (laughs) Yay. So uh, for the Super Bowl, I had to run out and get myself a fresh new keg so that we could, uh, ourselves and uh, our friends who are in our bubble, uh, you know John. um, Yep. And his wife and his daughter came over so we could watch the Super Bowl together. So I had to make sure we had a fresh keg. So I went ahead and headed back to uh, one of our favorite breweries, Heretic, down in Fairfield. And swapped out my keg. So I picked up a keg of a Make Make America Juicy Again. (laughs) Which is one of my favorite hazies. Day-to-day drinking hazies. And while I was there, I'm like, let me grab something for Eric and I to try on the show. So we are having back-to-back porters and this is heretics shallow grave which is a really dark sounding beer
1: <laughs> yes it is it is a rich smooth porter though
0: it is and it also won the 2016 gab silver medal robust Gabf. porter at the gab which is some sort of beer show festival thing yeah great american beer festival yeah that's what it is
1: 7% that's a it's pretty it's up there.
0: But, well so is the last one. That's exactly the same percentage as your sarcasm porter. Oh, wow. Ooh, Al- yeah. Also got a uh, bronze award at the 2014 World Beer Cup apparently.
1: But it didn't get the gap.
0: But but it didn't uh Well no, it got it got silver oh, it at the, did gab. Get
1: the gap. Oh, the That's right. It got That's silver right. at
0: the gap. Um cool. Let's get this one to try. This will be fun to try porters right next to each other since we have yeah. a uh you know, and we're still going to keep the, the you know, the 2021 20, litmus test. Okay. Um the other one we did barrels, so this time we can uh, do out of it's a shallow grave, so we'll do this out of um um You know, Eric, how many how many times have you as a father or even maybe your dad when you were younger buried a pet in the backyard and you accidentally dug it up later or kicked it up or it rained and it exposed itself?
1: So, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Now I haven't done that personally, but I have a you know my friend Jesse I tell you about on the show a lot. We played Atari fifty two hundred when we were young.
0: I've heard about Jesse's girl. I don't know Jesse himself.
1: No, you don't know Jesse. Jesse's girl. But he has he's buried like when since you know the the eighties the early eighties he's buried every pet in his backyard. So <laughs> he he finds them he finds them all the time back there. Like oh <laughs> this is where. Like I remember, as a kid, he had a two dogs, Sunshine and Malcolm, and they they're back they're back oh,
0: there. Oh, poor guy. Well, what's left of him is back there.
1: Yeah, that was a long time so ago.
0: We'll <laughs> rate this out of t- uh, two thousand and twenty one beloved uh, beloved pet bones <laughs> dug up in the backyard. All right, so here it is. Cheers. Cheers, my friend. Hmm. That, that would taste better in one of our new glasses provided by Doug.
1: It would. It really would. Um, so right up front, this one tastes more chocolatey to me.
0: Little folder, little a little folder bodied.
1: A little more cocoa flavor, if you will. Um, the head is still very dense. Um, it's still, you cannot see through it like a good porter should be. Hmm. Um, but this one doesn't have as burnt of a flavor as the last one did.
0: No, this is not actually, I would say it's interesting cause it's as far as the edges, it's mm-hmm. easier to drink, Correct. but the flavor is like bolder to the point where maybe by the time we get to the bottom, it'll be kind of, uh, it might become too much.
1: Yeah. A little too much. Yeah. Maybe it's but- almost got a little slight like chocolate milk flavor to it. Hmm. Like a dark chocolate milk
0: now that i've had a few sips i i i'm gonna be honest with you up front i think i prefer this one slightly sure i almost want to give them exactly the same score but i find myself enjoying this slightly more so i'm going to give this 1768 out of 2021 animal bones from beloved pets showing up in the backyard
1: so what was mine Mine was 1810 is that what i gave it
0: Let's just go with that. I can't remember. Let's pretend
1: <laughs> it was just a few minutes ago. But relative
0: relative to your last score,
1: um, I'm I like it a little better too. I think it's a smoother beer. Um, the funny thing is, I'm not even sure I like it more. But they are different. They're definitely they're different different um, for it being both porters. But I'm going to give the edge to this one, so I'm going to give it 1850.
0: Mm-hmm. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. The uh, the winner of today's porter battle, brought to I'm you by Heretic L's in Fairfield, California. Very cool. Yeah. I tagged these guys on Twitter and they responded and said, "Thank you for us, showcasing us on your show." And I wanted to respond with, um, "Don't be so sure. You haven't heard my show." <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Be careful. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, let's go ahead and uh, I think we have a battle. Do yes.
1: we not? We do, in fact.
0: So what exactly are we going to do, Eric?
1: So we're doing Battle of the Systems this month on, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Cody, but system, like top dog games on each system, like one of the technically superior games. Because you, you said last of the games to come out, and I, and I don't know if that's verifiably true. But it's close. These are end-of-life games on these particular machines, um, and, and both uh, technical marvels. One is Mayhem and Monsterland on the Commodore 64, and the other one is Mr. Gimmick on the Nintendo Entertainment System.
0: Beautiful. So let's go ahead and play this and start it off right with our Battle of the Systems. Battle of the systems! <laughs> All right, Eric, am I, are you seeing my screen, Eric? I am. Beautiful. So what game do you want to start with? Which one are you feeling... Uh, Let's start with Mayhem, because that's one you have more familiarity with.
1: It is, yep. So <clears throat> if I'll, I'll give a little brief description and give some dry facts. Mayhem and Monsterland is a 1993 platform game for the Commodore 64. It is made by Apex Computer Productions. Uh, It was made only for the Commodore 64, this original version. Um, Its release was in Europe. It was released in 1993. It is a platform game, single-player only.
0: There you go. Yeah. So this game, I'll just a brief history... Uh, Eric, I know you've played it probably back in the day Or when it came out I did, Um, I did My understanding was that this game was kind of Um A Ha ha, I'll show you To the Nintendo Mm -hmm. When basically the programmers uh, Decided they wanted to make a game that could Do the things that nobody thought uh, The C64 could do Which is play like NES style Scrolling platformer games like Super Mario 3 Right, right. Is that is
1: that? I, that's that was the. I don't know if I read that anywhere in particular, but I you can kind of tell by the making of this game, like, hey, look, we can compete with any eight bit system. Yeah, which by, back then the top dog was the original Nintendo.
0: Yeah, and so they did some really cool things. They have a kind of a very Ninja Gaiden influence here when it starts up um, with these cutscenes. Um, I'll get I'll get back to that in a second. So my experience with this was when I first got my Commodore that you uh, actually introduced me to quite a few years ago now. Yeah, um,
1: three almost three years now.
0: Oh, more than that. Oh, is it? We've been doing the show for three years, but you introduced this to me like three years before that when I first met you. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah, no, I've, fair enough. No, yeah, it's been like six years. Um, so I remember I I was able to run a couple games. But then I wanted to go straight to this game and I could not get to run. And I actually called you at night and you actually had to like walk me through how to get this game running because it yeah. used like every last bit. And so I couldn't just run it using because I would load the uh, the loader that yeah. or the file manager and then open the game and then it would just freeze and it wouldn't work. And you're like, you have to actually, you can open the file manager to get to the file you want, but then you have to like exit that and basically clear everything, clear the memory so you can load this game, so you can ro- load every last bit. So this game used a lot of, it, it, it used all of the available memory.
1: It really did push it to its very limits, yeah.
0: Um. So I remember when I finally did get it running, after all that, I had a hard time playing it, Um, in, in large part, because I wasn't used up to, to jump at all at that point. Right. And because it was very flickery. But this is a PAL game. It is. And so a lot of those issues were caused because we were using American NTSC Commodores and playing a PAL game on them. So for this, I made sure I had to go find a PAL, uh, NTSC fixed ROM for me to play this and use it on my original hardware. Yeah. Did you do the same or?
1: No, I ended up playing, I have a PAL C64. So I ended up playing it on my PAL C64. Uh, where it really runs smooth as silk.
0: Yeah, I figured that, that might be what you do. So, you probably mm-hmm. got the more uh, authentic experience. but Yeah. Uh, so, it starts with this MTV logo, which is funny. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Mayhem TV. Uh, but the, yeah, the intro here is really cool, because they tried to make it very theatrical, and again, a lot like Ninja Gaiden on the NES. It has these little cutscenes with these scrolling images and characters come in and it like hard freezes to black and white and they name each of the characters that's very theatric and very cool um and then eventually we get to the gameplay which um the first thing you notice is they picked a color palette you know the the commodore is very much known for its kind of uh, different colors of mud color palette It's
1: it's a very muted color palette yeah
0: and they found a way to make this thing look as vibrant and bright as possible they picked colors that popped the most on the commodore i believe and
1: they look really amazing i mean one thing you see in this game which we'll go into because there's light and dark levels but the bright the the bright levels are very bright with very very vibrant colors
0: Absolutely. So how would you describe the uh, the gameplay, the minute-to-minute gameplay of this game?
1: Sure. So you are a... Um, let me look at my notes here. You are a magi- uh apprentice magician dinosaur, <laughs> <laughs> and you're living in Monsterland. And did you, do you know the name of the character, Cody? I
0: I want to say Bub and Bob, because it looks no. to me like Bubble Bobble yeah. characters. No. But no, I don't.
1: Um, and I don't know if it's a him or her, but th- their name, I guess, is um, Theo. Well, I guess it would be a boy then, maybe. I don't know. Theosaurus.
0: <laughs> Theosaurus, okay. <laughs>
1: Theosaurus. And basically, the game is al- alternates the same level. The first time you play it, it's dark. So the colors are very muted, and you are running around. It's a typical platform. You're... It- you're And and when it's dark,
0: when it's dark, it starts saying you're playing this level on sad.
1: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Sad and happy levels. You're running around and you jump on people's heads. There is no fire in this game. You jump on their heads. And when you do, they release these little bags of magic dust.
0: Or they could release nothing.
1: Or they can release nothing. Correct. You're looking for enough magic which there's a a magic countdown timer at the bottom, not a timer, but a a count. You know how Counter, many you have. Yeah. Every time you get one, it goes down, and then when you reach zero, you deliver the magic to God. Who do you deliver to? Like a little.
0: It, it, well, it's like a gate at the bottom of the level, which What's I had gate? to look up because I didn't know it first.
1: Right, you deliver it to this gate, and but then it takes it to somebody, and they. Say, hey, okay, now we'll 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 make the land happy again, and then you have to go through the happy level. So it's the same level, but now all the colors are there.
0: Which I find um, hilarious because the game on sad has very few enemies, and then when you make mm-hmm. it happy, it gets harder and there's more people trying to kill you. You're right. Sure. And
1: you're trying to collect something <laughs> different in the um what was it? Um God, now I can't remember. You're collecting something different on the...
0: So when you're in the happy level, there's stars kind of scattered around, almost like coins on Mario. That's right.
1: That's right. I couldn't remember if they were stars or coins or whatever, but they're stars, and you need to go collect them all and then you can move on to the next level. Um, Scattered around the levels are these little checkpoints, little gateways, whereas if you die, you can go back to the checkpoint instead of having to go all the way back to the beginning of the level. Um... And then you just, you're just trying to go through the levels and the levels are named things like, um, jelly land, pipe land, spotty land, cherry land, and rock land.
0: There you go. Here, I'm going to skip forward to where happy. It's, it is funny because yeah. there's so many Mario influences. Like when the levels turn happy, mm-hmm. it's, it's bizarre to me because the, the, the monsters, mm-hmm. I, you know, the monster land monsters, especially when you go happy, they look, first of all, they look just like Yoshi. Yeah. They look like Yoshi from mario and they look super happy but there's so many more of them and they're again they're trying to kill you that much more even though you just made everybody happy (laughs) i don't get that part of it but um and it's also weird to me that they wanted this game to seem super happy and excited and um upbeat but when you start you start out on sad which is very depressing and (laughs) Mm non-colorful it's interesting to me that you didn't start on happy and like i don't know but um when you get to happy um yeah, you collect these stars that are just all over. They're basically coins. And the first level is very doable once you figure out what you're doing. Um, there's another move here that's actually very Sonic-inspired, and that is if you hold down the button and press forward, uh, you will start doing this dash, like a rhinoceros dash. And that's how you kill some enemies that you can't jump on top of.
1: Right, and you have to collect, you have to collect the power-up to be able to do that. It's called the um, lightning power-up.
0: Oh, I didn't... I just... I didn't realize that. I just, yep, when there. I needed it, I could do it, but I guess I got it. I yeah. Um, and there's, like you said, a bunch of different worlds and you just kind of keep doing the same thing. Um, it took me oh. a while to realize how to play the game because I didn't read the instructions yeah. and it's not like a linear platform like a, like a Mario, which is what I thought it would be. Yeah. Um, the what, physics
1: in this game though are really nice. I mean, I do like the, I think the controls are pretty tight. I mean, I never had any problems controlling the character. Um, it really is just the, the difficulty in this game is trying to make sure you kill the enemies by bouncing on top of their heads correctly or doing the charge attack correctly. Because if you don't, you will die.
0: See, so I have a little different opinion on that. Um, mm-hmm. what, really quick, one more thing you can do, which is a big part of the game, is if you are on a platform, you can press mm-hmm. down and jump to jump through the platform down below you. So right. a lot of times you're, you'll you get above an enemy and press down and just fall on top of them, which works well. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it is kind of momentum-based, but it's jerky, and I had a hard time learning that. So, for example, when you um, start running, kind of like Mario, in theory, like Mario, his momentum slowly builds up until he's going faster. With this one, you go slow until you hit a certain point, and all of a sudden you go faster. Hmm. There's this, um, it's an immediate, like, there's only two gears. You're either going this speed, or after a while, they will go this speed. And I think you really have to get in tune with exactly how long you can hold over until you speed up. Yeah. Because I was having trouble hitting jumps. Like, I would try to hit a small jump, and I'd, I'd be going a little too fast. All of a sudden, I would just go too fast, and I'd miss. Or vice versa, I would try to make a jump, and I didn't quite give myself enough run-up to hit the speed I needed to make the jump. Um, I kind of struggled with it. And maybe it's just because I'm so familiar with Mario and his physics. Right. Um, And then the same thing with the little rhino charge is you have to have a certain amount of run up before that works. And I had a hard time gauging when he was going to start doing the rhino charge. Yeah. Um, The one, one cool
1: thing I really, really like about the game is the sprite animations are amazing. Like when you hit a character, it literally dissolves into little stars (laughs) and then dissolves away the guy, when he runs, has a lot... There's a lot of frames of animation for Mayhem. So the game looks very well animated.
0: I agree. Yeah, no, it's a great-looking game. Um, how, what? As far as gameplay, what's your opinion on it?
1: Um, I, I found it pretty approachable, but it does get, to me, to be very difficult to... I don't want to at all say that it's pixel perfect, has to be pixel perfect when you jump on an enemy. But I did find myself dying quite a bit because I didn't quite hit the enemies the right way. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Would you agree with that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, And that got kind of annoying because I I don't want that, you know, I wish they would have given you a little leeway on that. Um, I think this game could have benefited from a fire mechanism, like a Mario
0: fireball. Don't you think? Um, Eh, Yeah, I mean, yeah, I know I see what you're saying, yeah.
1: I didn't always want to have to jump on enemies to defeat them. It would have been nice to at least, even if it was a temporary power-up that only lasted, you know, a few minutes or whatever. I think it would have been a neat thing to be able to clear some levels uh, of the enemies. Uh, But overall, I actually really enjoyed this game, and like you said, I mean it it is a technical marvel for the commerce 64 i mean other than sam's journey i'd say this is the second best platform on the, uh, platformer on the platformer on the commerce 64 hands down hmm. sam's I've... journey is the best one i mean it it you, you know i know you haven't quite started playing that yet no i haven't that one is the best one of all but this one's for me is the second
0: okay yeah all right i mean i guess there's not a whole lot more to say about it um mm-hmm. It's all the technical stuff you said, yes. Uh, yeah. And uh, it's going to be one of these uh, quotation caveat things where I say for the Commodore sixty four. Um, if you really are trying to compare it to a Nintendo game, it is blocky and the character sprites are great, but the actual levels are very like hard edge blocky. They don't feel natural. They're just um, they're really well done. Again, for the Commodore sixty four and. For comedy, sixty-four game, it's very. I give it very high praise. Um, I don't think the gameplay has the interest or the polish of a lot of the Nintendo games that we like to compare it to. But in this case, specifically versus um, Mr. Gimmick, um, it just feels to me the the character movement feels a little too vague uh, for me to really get comfortable with it right away. Right. Um, and I find myself a lot of times, mostly I find myself coming up next to an enemy, waiting for it to walk away, hit the point where it just turns around and jumping straight up and falling on it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Which kind of just kind of sucks the life out of the, the game. Um, but yeah, it has a lot of personality. I love the characters. I love the graphics, love the colors when you're not in sad mode. Um, and after I learned that it's not linear and you have to collect everything and come back. I I actually kind of admire that it had that gameplay element, which is not very common. That was pretty cool.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and then, but eventually, it hit these these points and the levels where you have to use that Rhino charge move to do to finish things. Yeah. And you just got going so fast, and I don't feel like you had enough control, and I just couldn't stop falling off of things, and that was like, I think right at the end of level two, and I think I eventually made it to level three, but it just got, um to the point where I didn't feel like I lost because I did something wrong. It just felt like the game was, the control was so difficult that I struggled with it at that point. Right. Um, now,
1: I do remember as a kid, this was one of the later games I got and I had an NTSC fixed version of this. Okay, cool. And even back then, that version was very glitchy. The screen would glitch really bad. I do remember that. So... I didn't play this that much as a kid. So I've played this mainly more often later in life. Um, once I got my Pal C64, probably eight years ago, I've I've loaded this up several times and have played it. I got to admit it's not one of my favorite games. It, the, the difficulty curve is a little too high for me. I mean, the weird thing is I wouldn't even say it's a difficult game other than I do agree with you. The controls can get, The controls can get in your way, yep, is the best way to put it, right?
0: Yeah, I want to love Uh, the game, I want to play the game that I know I can play. It's mm -hmm. you're fighting the controls,
1: yeah, and and I agree with that 100%. So, that's my two cents on this. I do love the game, I think it's really pretty, I think it's amazing looking, but it's not one I load up regularly because I don't like the controls which I do think in like Sam's journey, they fixed a lot of that kind of stuff. So just as a little preview for that. Um, But anyway, I don't know if you, if you're ready to.
0: Well, I think it's a game that you have to play. I mean, you have to play if you have a Commodore 64, you have to experience it is the, again, by far the most technically impressive original Commodore 64 game I've ever played. Um, And I know kind of last month we talked about Apidia on the Amiga, and Tim had such high praise for that game because of its technical mastery and stuff from you mm-hmm. know for an original Amiga game. And just keep in mind, I understand that stuff, and I can appreciate that stuff, but when I rate games, the hugest amount of uh, point value that I would give to any aspect of any game is going to be gameplay right now, today. Yeah. And um, which is why Apidia, in my opinion, lost the last battle. Uh, go ahead and listen to our last episode on that one (laughs) um one negative thing for me that i forgot
1: to mention is it has a time limit um which really didn't get in my way
0: it didn't it didn't
1: um but it's still there and i you know (laughs) i don't like in platformers there shouldn't be time limits because they should be based on exploration
0: i agree with that i agree with that but but like you said i don't think i ever died because the time ran out or got anywhere close i died because i was trying to make a jump and the controls are like nope you didn't hit the momentum speed right and here you go now you flew across the screen and dropped down a hole right so I agree um, with that. cool so alright what's a good 8-bit um, battle high end 8-bit battle scale to cool. use
1: let's rate it out of 6,502
0: ooh I like since it since
1: both of these systems have a, have a chip based on that
0: 6502 chip I like it I like it a lot all right um so we kind of gave all our opinions about the game and what's important to us and whatnot mm-hmm. um it is pretty and I will say that my NTSC fixed version I had no glitches like it worked beautifully yeah, for the I'm first sure time that- for the first time I've ever played this game without glitches I got it I got it there
1: I'm sure that you mean no, the NTSC fi- glitches glitch fixes that I had back in the day probably sucked compared to the ones that are around now
0: yeah yeah correct correct
1: um but good the good news is that back then i didn't pay for it wink wink um so i wasn't <laughs> out any money
0: well to be fair today i didn't pay for it <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um all right uh 68 wait no 6502 6502 yeah. do you have a number in, in mind already i do okay go for it
1: i'm gonna give this 3800
0: 3800 okay Ooh, that's actually lower than I thought. Yeah, I'm
1: not, like I said, I'm not terribly... Uh, this isn't one I go back to regularly because I don't like the controls on it. So, this isn't a great game for me. I mean, I, I do I do like it technically, but I don't like playing it all that often.
0: 6502. All right, well, I'm going to give it... I think it deserves roughly a C-plus in my book, which uh, would translate to like a 48... Oh, three. <laughs> you're going to
1: give it a 4803 I gave it, it 3800
0: Yeah So you're giving it a 4803 4803 Okay um, I think it's about it's about a C plus game for me It's Again everything we said uh, I probably will go back and try it again And mm-hmm. I'll probably run into the same issues I did the first time And that'll probably be the last time I play it But I'm hoping I'm missing something and um, this game
1: is definitely helped by a joystick if you have an up button like you know i know both you and i have a arcade stick that has a button mapped to the up uh it helps out tremendously in this game
0: yeah well in fact maybe that's why i gave it a higher score, Is i was using my nintendo pad that i have converted for my commodore
1: good and which makes sec- you have a second button for jump right
0: yep which makes yeah. it much easier yeah yep absolutely
1: Cool. cool. Let's go, go on to the next. Oh, so now that we've given our scores, why don't I give a couple of scores? There were, I couldn't find a ton of different ra- ratings for this game on the web, but I did find a few. Lemon 64, the average score for this out of 10 is 8.4, so it's pretty high. Um, yeah. Their magazine back in the day, um, I think this was Zap, gave this a... No, this isn't Zap, is it? Uh, what magazine is this? I don't know what magazine this is. It's is, uh, yep. It's Zap. Uh, gave this a 97% force factor, 97%. Um, mm-hmm. So this game was very, very highly rated.
0: Yep. And a and and big day. part of that was, again, I, I, I think two things. One is it was hugely different than any other Commodore game as far as how good it looked and how it imitated an NES game. Yeah. And I think part of it is probably just fanboyism for people who are, like, trying to pump up their system, honestly.
1: <laughs> well, of course, and the Commodore 64 didn't have a lot of super great platformers. I mean, there were a few, but anything was welcome. And then in 93, that was late in the game for the C64. Yeah,
0: very much so. Very much so. And that was late in the game for the NES. Yep. Um, All right, you ready to talk about the next one? Which means it goes right up a game like Mr. Gimmick.
1: That's right. So, this game is has kind of two names. It's either Gimmick exclamation point or it's Mr. Gimmick. And this game was developed by Sunsoft. Uh
0: Love Sunsoft.
1: The director is Tomami Sakai. Yeah, let's let's go with that. Sure. Um, I'll buy it. it is a it is for the Nintendo Entertainment System. It was released in Japan on January 31st, 1992. Uh, And in Scandinavia, May 19th, 1993, Um, it is a platformer that is a single player. It's not really much more to say about, um, I mean, it was obviously on the Famicom.
0: Well, I think that's a huge point right there is this was released so late in the game. And it's such Mm -hmm. an expensive, rare game because Japan got Mm -hmm. a copy and then only parts of Europe got it. Uh, Other parts of Europe did not get it and America never got it
1: america never got this game that is true so
0: this is a game that's only really come to prominence because retro gamers have you know dug around in emulation and found it and yep. sunsoft has made a ton of great games back in the day on the nes they did and uh we'll decide if this game is in line with their greatness or not i suppose yep so we're gonna go ahead and start the video here so eric and i can watch it um Interesting little backstory, uh, it's a, another platformer, just like Mayhem and Monsterland, very bright, exciting colors, came out at the end of the system, just like Mayhem and Monsterland, uh, mm-hmm. the end of the system life, and it came out in 1993, just like Mayhem and Monsterland. It starts with this very Japanese little, uh, vignette, anime vignette, of a girl opening a gift, and there's this little, like, toy animal, who is Mr. Gimmick, or Gimmick, and it's this cute little green blob with, like, legs, um... And it's hard to tell from this video looking at the picture, but the story is, um, she loves this toy and is so excited about it, and all their other toys come out of the toy box and decide that they're jealous of her attention for this gimmick. Uh, so they take out murderous revenge on this, on this girl, and steal her away to some nightmare land. Yeah. And a gimmick who has amazingly expressive eyes, um gets all sad
1: he has a name did you know that oh
0: it's not mr gimmick
1: it is not mr gimmick it is Yumitaro.
0: okay sure he
1: is the the player is in control of a small green yukai own which in parentheses it says oni i don't know what any of that means oni
0: Oni is like a a mystical japanese monster like demon Okay, cool i I know that
1: yeah and his name is Yumitaro.
0: okay yeah i okay (laughs) <laughs> that uh, that reminds me of Bob's Burgers, where uh, the young girl um, whose name is escaping me right now, but she has this little green blob toy that she loves named Coochie Kobe. Coochie Kobe,
1: yeah. <laughs> I, I, we we watch Bob's Burger all the time.
0: My girls are downstairs right now watching it. Um, yeah. Anyways, this game is very much. It very much has the NES look where uh, all the sprites fit in a, I don't know, what is it, 32 by 32 square box, or 64 by 64 square box, mm-hmm. um, pixel-wise. And it has that sun-soft feel. Um, everything in this first level is very uh, cotton candy colored, and you're, the, you know, you're y- Yubitobi, what's his name, Yumatobi Yumitari? <laughs> Yumataro Yumataro Yumitaro. And um, you're this... Green blob character which is just Adorable (laughs) to be honest Um He he
1: looks almost like Kirby But he's not completely round He's blobby
0: yeah, he did a very Kirby-esque. You're right. You're right. It has that yeah. kind of feel where he is cute and fluffy and happy and lovable, but at the same time, the game is no joke. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's an understatement of the year. That is, uh, the game is no joke. You're game right. is no
0: joke. So right from the first level, which normally first levels are like you run a little bit, you hit a block, you see three bad guys, you beat the level. No, nope, right. right in the first level, there's platforms everywhere and conveyor belts going different directions and enemies thrown at you, which you have to deal with. And not in an easy way. Um, you know, I will say you have your on the bottom. You have your little GUI which has your score. It has how many lives you have, which always in Japan they call rest. I don't know what that means, but rest. Right. Um, and then you have these four dots. So those are your health points. I, I believe you start with three. You can pick up power ups that will get you up to four. Each each power up gives you one extra health or or sometimes more. Um,
1: I think you start with two, if I remember right. Do you start with two? Okay yeah
0: and there's a few other power-ups you can pick up so you have kind of three item slots over here that you can use yep um but the primary thing in the game what makes it really unique as far as the technical aspect uh visually i think the game is adorable but i don't think it it doesn't visually look more exciting than like a a kirby Mm -hmm. um but physics um so you can jump on top of enemies that won't kill them but you can like ride around on top of them yeah uh in multiple different aspects sometimes you'll be riding on an enemy that's riding on another enemy um and then your main attack is you can hold a button down the star will appear in front of you and when you let go you kind of throw it at an arc and so there's like parabellum physics (laughs) if you will your star kind of bounces off in in a on an arc and bounces but if you jump and, like, while you're falling, you through the, the star, it'll bounce harder and go at a different angle and bounce higher. And so a big part of this game is learning how to use that star and bounce it correctly to do what you want it to do. And there will be parts in this game where you actually have to bounce the star against a wall to have it bounce back towards you so you can jump on the star and ride it over things. And it's not as simple as that. It's, it's straight physics, so it can be very difficult to do that successfully.
1: So I'm going to tell you something. I watched a video today on this game. Okay. Because I only made it to like the third level. Mm -hmm. And I did not know until today that you could ride on the star. Okay. And I was wondering why I couldn't get to certain parts of levels. Like there was one level that had a cliff that was up high. And I was like, I can't get to this, this cliff level. I have no idea how to get there. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Am I supposed to go somewhere else and go through a door and get there? And then I watched a video, and the guy jumped on the star. And I was like, I didn't know you could jump on the star. I had no idea. So I kind of blew it in that I didn't know you could do that.
0: <laughs> yeah, I kind of had to learn it. Um, and there's a few puzzle puzzle aspects to the game. Like right there, you just saw a yeah. cannon was shooting these cannonballs. You kind of have to push it out of the way until it can't hurt you. Um, yeah. Spikes everywhere. Um you kind of have to just see the game. You can't really explain it verbally. You just kind of have to see why it's so difficult. And it's it's designed pretty well based on slight puzzle-solving elements. Physics, a lot of it is physics-based elements. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like uh, NES games that I actually love, like Ninja Gaiden and things like that, where once you kind of figure out how to do the level, you kind of gain mm-hmm. the muscle memory, and you can just get right through it in future passes. But it'll take you many deaths and lives to figure it out the first time. Yeah, Like right there, getting that little power-up, there's Mm -hmm. no way to do that unless you knew to throw the star against that wall, immediately jump on it, and bounce, jump right off to get that thing.
1: (laughs) Right. Uh, And and you do in this game get unlimited continues, which you will use. You will use unlimited continues.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and that's what I think, honestly, is a good part of the games that are quote-unquote NES hard, like Contra and uh, Ninja Gaiden, games like that, it, well, actually Contra doesn't, but Ninja Gaiden and Castlevania, um, yeah. is they have unlimited continues. So, yeah, when you continue, you'll go back to the beginning of the level. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can keep trying and keep trying without having to play the whole game over again, which, yep. yeah, it's a hard game moment to moment. But once you pass a part, you've, you're past it.
1: But I will tell you that, and I only found this by watching the video that I watched today, You ke- there is a good ending in this game and a bad ending.
0: Okay. <laughs> and,
1: the good, and the good ending is where you save the girl, right? Okay. Um, if you use any continues, you cannot get to that.
0: Oh, well, yeah. That's. I would not be able to do that.
1: No, you would not be able to do that. Not to mention, to get to the level seven, which is the final the the end, mm-hmm. you have to collect all the items in the game. Because there are items like a little samurai sword and... And other little items around like that are hidden, hidden things. In, yeah. in each level. You have to have all of those and no continues to get the good ending. Gotcha. So anyway, I didn't know yeah, if you that, knew that. And there was that no would, way I was ever going to get there, but yeah, I, that, I saw it on a video. I watched that would there.
0: take uh, hours and hours of practice to do that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's crazy.
1: Now, one <laughs> thing I wanted to say about the visual aspects of this game is when I played a lot of Nintendo games, when I first got my Nintendo and I tried a lot of games... The best visually appealing game to me was Kirby's Adventureland. That game looks amazing. I mm-hmm. love that game. Yeah. And I love the game. I think the game is brilliant. It is it is probably my favorite game on the original Nintendo. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, but this game I didn't know about until we played it for this battle. And this game is beautiful. It is amazing. And the music in this game is second to none. Yeah, I, I do mean, this, love it
0: not see i don't know if i agree with you on saying second to none but it is top notch it is it, it yeah, is top it is, shelf
1: it is top shelf music exactly and i do wish i i i had known that you could ride on the star that probably would have made a lot of difference in some of the levels so this guy i'm gonna <laughs> i'm gonna adjust my score upwards a little because if i had known that i probably could have gotten some areas and power-ups that would have helped me
0: so I think the hardest part about this game, uh, all the level portions and stuff were doable and you could learn. Um, mm-hmm. This is a fun little trick here where this cannon shoots balls and you can learn to jump on the ball and ride it to get to the <laughs> right. secret. Yeah. Um, so I, I just thought this game did a lot of really clever things. I think there's a ton to learn about it, a ton of replayability, even though it's a linear platformer. Yeah. Uh, the hardest part about this game to me was the parts of the game where you had to... Um, Basically, fight any kind of large boss. We just saw that kind of mini-boss, a little green guy. Yeah. Um, which was difficult. But especially this boss at the end of this level and a couple other levels, um, you had to hit them with your star in a certain spot. And that spot never seemed to have a very obvious hitbox. So it was yeah. kind of like trial and error, figuring out where the star needs to hit. Like, sometimes you had to bounce it and it had to land directly, like, down on top of their head. Or you had to hit, hit like, if attack their them under their sword it had to like bounce right below them and bounce up under them like some of these parts were just hard to figure out this guy right here like that one hit but almost yeah. every time i shot it yeah like that it just bounced off the sword didn't it t- didn't hurt the guy so um i mean the bosses are relentless i mean they just come at you like a homing missile yeah um,
1: and there's but, no time limit in this game which is great um but did, did can you tell talk us to us a little bit about the power-ups
0: I had a hard time really figuring out what the power ups were. Same, me, same and They seem here. very niche. This this red b- ball we saw there. If you yeah. uh, use that power up, um, which is a weird button combination, I can't remember right now. It's like holding a button down and doing something. It'll like throw a ball straight across the room, kind of like a weapon. Mm-hmm. Um, but that that's mm-hmm. it. Once you do it, that's it.
1: And there's a bomb, which I understand what the bombs do. The
0: bomb was pretty easy. It dropped and blew stuff up, and it it basically really only let you, I mean, it was hard to kill an enemy with the bomb, but there's a couple secrets you can unlock if you had the bomb. But yeah, no, the the power-ups weren't a huge part of the gameplay, in my opinion.
1: Right. And then there were also um, potions, right?
0: Here's the pink blob. See that? Yeah. And then you could bomb this guy to get down below. There you go. He just bombed him to get that secret down there. Uh, and then the potions, the potions gave you three health.
1: That's right. They they kind of fill up your health meter, which you have four segments, like you talked about in the beginning. I think you start with two, and then you can build up to four, but so that, God, if you didn't have that, if this is like a one hit, one kill game, oh, yeah, it would yeah, be, yeah. this would be ridiculously hard, which it's just very hard now.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, see, I, I, it was, it was difficult. And a lot of people have talked about how this is like the hardest NES game, whatever. I don't see how this game is any harder than, like, a Castlevania or, like, a Ninja Ga- There's a lot of NES games are, that are this hard. Sure. Um, because it's got those continues, it's doable for me. Now, if you're trying to do a one-run killer, or one-run, one, one run, what, what do you- one death run, whatever. I can't talk. No continues. Right. Um, yeah, it would be ridiculous. But it's not that kind of a game. Like, this right. guy right here, where he has the leaf, he just keeps blocking on your stars. He was hard to get past. Yeah. Um but but ultimately, uh, I think I got to. Let me see if I can fast forward to where I got in this game. Um, wow,
1: you got pretty far.
0: I was re- just shy of here. Yeah, I was right up around here. Okay. Um, this ice level here. This this boss right here was the was the part that uh, I could just get past, but then I had no health to continue. Um. So according to this run through, which of course is like a near perfect playthrough, I got 20 minutes into a yeah, uh, 29 minute game. Yeah, so yeah, I got two thirds of the way through. Um, but yeah, I I I wish there's a few things I wish it could change uh, further on in the game to make it I guess a little more a little more doable. Uh, I wish there's a little more little less guesswork into how you got past certain things. Um, especially that boss there. I just couldn't figure out... How, even watching replays, I can't figure out what how to kill it. Right. Um, it was just kind of... It kind of became luck. Um, but the moment-to-moment gameplay, I loved. The controls were super tight. Uh, the physics were fun, unique, and interesting. The levels were clever mm-hmm. and all different. They kind of all used different skills. Um, I think the uh, the powers were kind of underutilized. Um, but overall, I think it was just a really solid top-notch NES game.
1: Yeah. I, I, I think it's clever. I think it is the best-looking one. I think it is also the best I don't know how to say it, like cleverly designed game. Like, there so many little things will happen. Like, like, we were watching a little gameplay right here, and these guys were statues, and they converted to real things. I mean, little surprises and things like that in the game make it very replayable and they make it like um just very interesting like you said the physics are very interesting um the 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 gameplay mechanic with the star like like creating the star i hated it and i still <laughs> so i mean i i don't want to i'm not going to glam over it i can't stand it if you could just shoot regular things in this game i think it would be a lot more approachable <laughs> yeah. um i do not like it and while I say I'm going to rate this a little higher because I didn't know you could jump on the star and I will rate it a little higher for that. I don't like that. I don't like this. I don't like the mechanic. I think it's too difficult. I think it, it takes a hard game and makes it even harder.
0: See, I, I think um, a big part of where this game becomes a quote unquote technical Marvel yeah. is yeah. the physics in that star mechanic. I think it's yeah. a big part of what makes it unique. And I would sure. also say the enemy AI, because a perfect example is mayhem and Monster lamb The enemies yeah. literally just are on repeat. They go left, they stop, they turn right, they stop, right. they turn left. There's nothing yeah. with this game. Every enemy has a specific set of instructions, program instructions on how to react to you and how you move. So yeah. every enemy is, and it's not just like it attacks. You jump over it and turn around and attack it. Like it, if you come towards it at a certain speed, it'll like back away from you at a certain speed. And yeah. it's like constantly changing. I think the programming is what makes it impressive. It also makes it hard, mm-hmm. but it's impressive. Like each enemy has its own, um, the own, its own way that it reacts to you and what you do, which is what is very impressive Yeah, and difficult. It's
1: attention to detail is amazing. Yeah.
0: Cool. All right. So out of 6502, Eric.
1: Yeah, I'm ready. Do you want you want to go first this time?
0: all right well this game did leave a little bit to be desired and people that love this game absolutely love it um i said the things i love about it i've said a few things that frustrate me about it um ultimately i don't think it's a game that i would load up all that often i think i am going to definitely go back probably in a year or two and see how far i can get again Mm -hmm. um but it doesn't have that i must come back to it right now feel even though the gameplay is so tight Uh, and the main thing for me is gameplay wise is just that, uh, a lot of the enemies specifically, I don't know that I'm going to hit them if I do something right. So a lot of it becomes guesswork. And that Mm -hmm. part is the part that kind of turns me off. Everything else about it. I love very polished, very cool, very good sound, very characteristic. Um, not characteristic, very, uh, the characters are very alive. What's the word I'm looking for? it's got a lot of character <laughs> um right.
1: which i agree with
0: yeah so i i think i'm gonna have to give this one the edge uh i don't think by any means it's a c plus game like the mayhem and monster land is i can't give it an a though i'm gonna give this like a solid fifty
1: six twenty seven. wow fifty six twenty seven, awesome do you ever see that guy on TV that says like he he's a guy and he talks about rent in New York and he says the rent is too damn high? No, actually, <laughs> you never heard of
0: that. No, I haven't.
1: Yeah, uh, he's he was a he's a was a guy in New York. I don't remember what his name was, but for me, this game is too damn hard. So <laughs> rent is too hard. I I don't I don't like the difficulty in this game. It is too hard, and I. I if a game is too hard, then it's not fun. So yeah. I, I, I enjoyed mayhem and monster Land more because it's not as difficult. Oh, okay. I, I, I think this, I think Mr. Gimmick is a, is a technically superior game. I think the physics are better in it. I think the graphics are better in it. I think the gameplay is smoother in it, but that doesn't, that's not enough to make a good game and it has to have good gameplay. And Mayhem and Monsterland to me didn't have great gameplay. Mm. It had good. It had good gameplay. Um, this one, I think, is totally a midline game. Like because it's just too difficult. I didn't enjoy my time with it at all. Um, so I'm going to give this one 3,200. Wow. Yep. Wow. Though. So I'm giving uh, the edge to Mayhem and Monsterland, but they're both to me.
0: You said they're both kind to- of average.
1: They're both mediocre games. They're, uh, really? I, okay. If I could say this, they are all bark, no bite. I mean, they—they they interesting. All, they're all flashy. They're all like technically great, and I think the programmers got too—I think they got too much into the prettiness and the sound and and how it looks. I don't think they really really focused on the gameplay at all. Oh in my either game.
0: goodness. Yeah. I couldn't so, agree I can disagree with you more on this one on on Gim- on gimmick on gimmick. Yeah. May- Mayhem enough. and Monster Land was all those things you said. Mr. Gimmick, yes, it's very hard and mm-hmm. I agree that it might be too hard for most gamers including myself. Yeah. But I think it is all gameplay. It's just the gameplay is aimed at a very skilled uh, very determined set of players who would spend hours and hours and hours and hours practicing this game to beat it. Yeah, which is not my thing, so I get a lower score. But it is all gameplay, in my opinion. Um, I think it is masterfully done. It was just. I think, I think, I think we're going to
1: have to. I think we're going to have to agree to, disagree. to agree that I'm correct.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I will not do it.
2: The, so let uh, me
1: tell you. Let me tell you about the ratings, though, because they were very interesting. Okay. Electronic um, EGM, which is what is that? Electronic Gaming Monthly. Yep. I think that was it. They rated this five out of ten. Wow. Mr. Gimmick. Um, so they rated this four times because they rated it four times. You know, they would go back and review games later okay. on. Okay. Five out of ten. Then five out of ten. Okay. Then four out of ten. Jeez. And then their final score was eight out of ten. So it's just <laughs> different reviewers. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Um, Famitsu, which I've never heard of, but I, I assume it's a Japanese magazine. like it. Magazine. 26 out of 40
0: okay nintendo magazine
1: 91 out of 100 they like it (laughs) yep nintendo mag magasinet i have no idea where that's from six out of ten playstation magazine 18.5 out of 30
0: man so almost universal hate i mean the one from nintendo is kind of biased you have to admit that so sure sure
1: but it, it it they pretty much this got like a I don't know. I, it's, I mean, it's not even a C if you're rating it on a, on that scale, but I, by a point scale, now out of ten.
0: Now, to be fair, mm-hmm. and and I, you can read this up a little bit. Two things: yeah. all yeah. those magazines were reviewing this game yeah. in the time it was released, which was already like two years into the Super Nintendo lifestyle. Yeah. So really, they were they're kind of comparing this game against all the modern Super Nintendo Super Mario World, which is right. a much better game for multiple reasons. Yeah. Um so I think that's a big reason it got bad reviews up front. If you look at a whole lot of online modern like retro gamers that go back and play this game, it is very yeah. highly rated nowadays. Um yeah. so I can I can understand all viewpoints everywhere from four all the way up to a hundred percent and in between. Yeah. I can I can understand all of them.
1: Yeah, this may this game did make me want to go back and play Kirby's Adventureland. Um because <clears throat> I love that game. It's one yeah. of my favorite games. Uh, But, no, I mean, like I said, it's a technically great game, and I think if I was a better gamer, I probably would have rated it higher. I'll admit that. I mean, if I was a better gamer, I think it would be a lot more intriguing to me. As I am now, though, it it just
0: just didn't do it for me. Gotcha. All right. Thus endeth our battle of the systems, Eric.
1: Yes, another one in the books.
0: And another show in the books. Ooh. We are just about done, so... We're going to go ahead and wrap this thing up, finish off our beers um, on the, I want, I always want to say the 30th, but it's February, Eric. There is no 30th.
1: There is no 30th. It's 28, right? Is it a, It's not a leap year either, so it's 28.
0: No. In fact, I actually took a uh, pledge, I don't know if you saw the pledge I fast forwarded on, or I forwarded on Twitter, mm. but uh, a lot of us gamers are, are pledging to take a break from video games. We're taking off the February 29th, 30th, and 31st.
1: Fair enough I'll Fair enough that.
0: So if you want to do that with us It'll make you feel oh, better When you come out on the other side in March Yeah um, Be cleansed Yeah You know just take a little break um, We'll be coming back next month uh, We have our game show with Tim Drew from the UK Our cohort uh, He'll yes. be joining us And um, of course we're going to go ahead and catch up On everything we've been doing Everything we've been up to And we mixed it up this time, as you might have noticed, by doing the Battle of Systems uh, with just Eric and I, which means our monthly Six Good Games segment, we'll be sharing with Tim.
1: Which we're doing the TRS-80 Color Computer.
0: Trash-80 Coco. Yes. Six Good Coco Games. So we are stoked to hear you guys. Uh, You know, Let us know how you think about this episode and what games we bashed on the next episode. And if we bash them hard enough, send us free stuff. That relates to that game. That's cool. Please, I love free stuff. What other What other games do I feel like hating right now, Eric? Uh, Legend of (laughs) Zelda sucks. So go ahead and send me a bunch of Legend of Zelda stuff, please. Um, Cool. And we will catch you, I guess, on the last day of the month, so February twenty eighth. Yeah. Sounds good. Hey, Eric. Yeah. One last thing we have to say. Yeah. It's It's dangerous to go alone. alone. Thank you again for listening. You can find episode information and show notes online at pixelguiden.com. Please follow us on Twitter at pixel underscore gaiden, And you can also follow Eric at Dub project. That's D U H project. You can also follow Cody on Twitter at oddball 49. That's O D D B A one one four nine. You can reach Tim Drew as well on Twitter at Sanction, that's S-A-N-X-I-O-N. If you are interested in supporting the show financially, please join us at our Patreon account. That's patreon.com forward slash pixelguiden. Please leave a review to help get our podcast listed higher up on the show rankings. We would also love to hear from you with any comments or input. So hit us up on our email at podcast at pixelguiden.com.